With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to an hour of our time. We've had a busy few weeks and need some time to catch up on things. And so we are delaying our next new episode, which will be on Gladiators, until next week. This week, as football season begins, we are revisiting our two episodes about America's Gridiron, the first of which was posted back in March of 2019. So strap on a helmet and try not to tear your ACL. I'm Dave. I'm Joe. And I'm Mark. Kick off. Are you ready for the podcast? Okay. What are footballs made of now? Is it just it's um, is it leather or synthetic? It's some sort of synthetic other? material, and they're all made in like a plant in Akron, I think. All the ones that are used for um, the NFL. Is it yeah. a particular brand? Yeah, it's um, Spalding. Wilson. Wilson, I think. Wilson. No. <laughs> uh, to my understanding, they make fo- all the footballs that are used for the league, but they definitely make all the Super Bowl footballs. Is it for like consistency? Um, I guess I I would assume so. All right. I remember seeing an interview with like an elderly woman who's been making footballs for forty years, and now she looks like one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably due to smoking, not the, footballs. You become what you love. Yeah. So what what was the Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch song that was really famous? Vibrations. Okay, it wasn't that. I was in the grocery store today, and whatever like early '90s radio rap song came on. Um, I'm not gonna remember what it what it's called now. Maybe but, it's a. Di- let me look. No, up no, Marky. you're right. That is Marky Mark. But whatever it was, I can't remember who it was. It turns out that that is the exact pace that I walk. <laughs> so that beat was on. And I'm walking out of the store, and it's just like exact pace of this rap song, and I couldn't break that stride. Here I go. Here I go. Here I go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you guys been watching the masked singer no no i watched an episode i was feeling very i don't know what i was feeling you lose a bet on a morning but i was like i'm gonna check out rent on fox and see how that turned out i decided i'm fully and forever done with the musical rent yeah there's a whole book about how jonathan larson ripped it off oh, from really? somebody else the whole concept of it it's based on La Boheme, I believe, which is an opera. Yeah. Which, that's all fine, based things, you know, like West Side Story is based on Romeo and Juliet and all that stuff. And supposedly Romeo and Juliet is based on another story. Sure. It it goes, I mean... I would call that borrowing. There are only 12 notes. Right. Everybody. And there's only like three types of stories if you really break it down. There's the hero's (laughs) journey and there's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, Dan Harmon will knows more about this than than i do obviously but um 
the whole concept of it being about the AIDS epidemic in the nineties and it's a diverse cast and it's lesbians involved in all this stuff. There was a much more progressive play written, I believe by this woman and he just lifted it and then got very popular died before it opened, which made it more popular as well. Yeah. Now Jonathan Larson did not have AIDS. He just died of a natural causes. And then now there's this whole thing about how it's very appropriative and it was stolen. But people are still like, oh, rent 20 years later. Oh, my God. What a what a time to be alive. Or people, whatever. people love it. <clears throat> they love that show. And you know what stunt casting is? No. When you cast Eddie George as Billy Flynn in the musical Chicago. Ah, yes. That is stunt casting. Got it. People will come and see this because they don't know if it's going to be good or not. Right. It was that top to bottom except for like three people. Eddie George, the football player? Yeah. Eddie that, George. He did that last year. Mm. He's been in multiple shows. And apparently... Not bad. Okay. Apparently it's better than you think. But I mean, like, if you're definitely cast, thought that um, it wouldn't be good. But they, you wouldn't get, they wouldn't have the show. Like, you know, it's going to be fine. Right. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll pull him up. They'll, they'll make up for his shortcomings around him. But then I also watched an episode of the mass, mass singer. Cause Joel McHale was going to be on it. And I was mm-hmm. like, I want to see him just make everybody look stupid the whole time. But he just sat there pretty quietly and respectfully, and it was really disappointing. Oh. So that show is goofy as it seems? It was a Japanese show, apparently. It was a Japanese? kind of makes a I lot remember of talking sense. about how it was Korean, but I think I was wrong. I think yeah, it was my Japanese. brother was talking about it, and it's, it's just not something I ever want to watch. It's pretty terrible. Somebody, you know, they have these very ornate costumes, and then they have little features where, like, this is a clue about me. I've been on the spot on my whole life. And they have some kind of vocal effect and it turns out to be terry bradshaw great <laughs> tommy chong was on there at one point margaret Cho. it just like, seems like fox is challenging you to like what will you watch yeah you'll watch this it's All like right. dancing with the stars except now we're going to make them wear like goofy outfits and sing so you've never seen dancing with the stars have you a lot of goofy outfits okay well <laughs> <laughs> that's fair quite a few all right. So what? What are we actually? So speaking of Dancing with the Stars, a show that has had several winners that have been ex-professional football players, Emmett Smith, for example. Uh, we're talking about the history of American football today. Important to point that out. Not the band. Not the band. Football American. <laughs> Au français. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Speaking of things, I generally have no interest in watching. Yes, so maybe that's a good place to start. So, Mark, do you watch football? I'm aware of football. You've seen a football? I've seen a football, but generally there are very many things that I would rather watch. This made me think of the time that the three of us played football in Joe's parents' backyard. Yeah, that was fun. It was extremely tiring after 10 minutes. That was a really long time ago. It's disappointing. Frustrating for me. Yeah. I remember the time I tried to teach you to throw a football. And the problem with it is that you kept backing up, and then eventually it hit you in the shin, you got upset, and it won't play anymore. <laughs> Sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've told this story on the podcast before, but it bears repeating. I'm not a sporting man. <laughs> That's all right. Why don't we start the way we sometimes do with, with a history? So the game of football, American football, and, and to an extent uh, soccer as well, um, can trace its roots back to ancient Greece. Um you know that I am the king of pronouncing things. Uh, Mark, <clears throat> how would you say that word? Episkyros? I like it. 
It's a Greek game where you would throw a ball over a scrimmage while avoiding tackles. Sounds awfully familiar, right? And that's an important thing because the idea of a line of scrimmage in in American football doesn't come about for a while. Even when football starts to form um, in the 19th century, it takes a while to have a defined idea of a line of scrimmage. So what that, does that mean? So okay, so in 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 football, you have an imaginary line where plays start. It's a dividing line between the offense and the defense. Okay, and it's the starting line um, that defines your end goal. So you also have the idea of down and distance. So first and 10, I have four plays in which to reach 10 yards past the line of scrimmage that I'm on. If you move up three yards, that is now your line of scrimmage. And now I have two more plays to get seven more yards. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like a series of waypoints. Yeah. But it's called down and distance and then a line of scrimmage. Um, In the Middle Ages, there was a similar game in Europe that was extremely chaotic and had few rules. Um, it was known by a lot of different names. NFL Blitz. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> it, it was most commonly known as mob football because <laughs> it was played between neighboring towns and villages with an unlimited number of players. Jay, you go, what's the shit about my sister, man? You want to go down there and get, get football going there? you real good. Uh. <laughs> yep. It got real loud. That's yeah, real loud. <laughs> um, <laughs> the goal of the game was to move a ball to markers at the edge of the town. The ball was an inflated pig's bladder. So yeah, I've heard uh, this. Your your precursor to the pig skin. Yeah. Um, this game unfortunately was banned by the Highway Act of 1835 because it banned the playing of the game on public highways. So, so they started to, d- to develop a highway system to move from town to town. It cut through things, and they didn't want people crossing it playing this mob game where you'd have like 40 guys running around tackling each other. <laughs> so, so it's just like a big, a big ball of people like in a cartoon. I imagine dust, it like I imagine and feet and <laughs> feet and fists are flying out. Yes, it's basically that. <laughs> Um, this game was, was probably more similar to rugby. That'd be the most direct comparison. And, and modern American football is, is most closely related to rugby. But this game sort of directly develops into rugby in, in England. One thing I'm not quite understanding, sorry. This mob football, are they trying to get somewhere? Or are they just like running around the no, city? No, like I said, they, their goal was to move a ball to markers at the edge of the town. At the edge of the town. Oh, I yeah. missed that part. Yeah, so on the edge of the town... They They're literally markers. crossing the entire... The entire town <laughs> with an unlimited number of players. And you have to remember that the other thing that Picking up people as you go. The other thing that doesn't exist in the game at this time, and not for a while, is the idea of the forward pass. So literally, it's like a big rugby scrum that goes across the entire town. So you're not throwing the ball. You're just running with it and trying not to get beaten to death. Okay. I had, a, I had a case of ru- rugby scrum back in the summer of 2002. <laughs> <laughs> Bad case of rugby scrum. Um, yeah, that spreads real fast. Uh, there was also... Sting zone. There was... Enter the sting zone. <laughs> there was also a similar game in uh, different Native American cultures. So uh, I guess the, what this is all to say, that people have a natural instinct to pick up like an object and say, I'm going to run this past you. And then the guy goes, I'm going to hit you. That's the game. At this point, that is the game. It's just a lot of people doing that one thing. Um, And this style of game became popular but largely unorganized until the 19th century. Uh, At that point in the United States, 
a similar game of mob football started to be played on college campuses. What you would call a pickup game. This is like just people on the campus playing a game in an open field. Much like baseball at the time. Um, Schools played different varieties of football. A lot of these kind of developed more into like soccer. You're playing with your feet. You're not allowed to touch the ball with your hands. So it develops some in some places like that. Um, one commonality is that the games were extraordinarily violent and in, in, injuries were extremely common. So much so that many universities banned these types of games from being played. Um, so these were not chill bros. Not chill bros. No. I, in a minute I'll have a statistic about how many deaths in one year occurred because of football. It's more than you'd like. Um <laughs> But this kind of mob football was played in Princeton, at Harvard. Um, There was a similar type of game played at Yale and Rutgers and Brown. Dartmouth developed what's called Old Division football. Um, They officially set the rules in um, November of 1869, but it's pretty similar to modern-day soccer in terms of its rules. Okay. Um, At least is, is, is more similar to that than it is to American football. But it's called Old Division football. Um, that brings us to Walter Camp, who is known as the father of American football. He was a Yale student, uh, from 1876 to 1881. He played halfback and was the team captain or the coach of the Yale football team. Um, but he was instrumental in guiding the rules board of the newly formed Intercollegiate Football Association or the IFA. Um, he was the one that proposed the idea of moving from a scrum to down and distance. So instead of just a scrum where you're trying to move the ball, now you have a certain amount of uh, space you need to move the ball in a certain number of plays. It wasn't 10 yards in four plays like it is now, Yeah. Um, but it was something like that. That's how you get rugby scrum. That's how you get it. Getting down and distance. Down and distance. Um, he also set an 11-man team. So it's not an unlimited number of people anymore. It's 11 people. <laughs> um the idea, I think, at the time was more like Ironman football, where you play offense and defense, but it's an 11-man team. Now, it's 11 men on either side of the ball. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, and he also uh, proposed the idea of the quarterback position and the snap from center, which at one point, you just kick the ball at the guy, apparently. Uh, so, <laughs> he really wanted you to reach under in the undercarriage and grab that thing. The scrum. The scrum. <laughs> um he they allowed at this point they uh, enacted rules that allowed for blocking um formed a line of scrimmage as we talked about um they also allowed for large formations which is no longer allowed in professional or college or any kind of football um because it became very violent um they also developed something similar to the modern scoring system um the issue with the large formations though um, would that be like um a line of people like a flying V. Blocking? Yes. Okay. Like the idea of forming a V and like running in that pattern. I do. Um, in 1905, there were 19, 19 deaths during football games nationwide. And this is what caused it to be suspended at many universities. President Theodore Roosevelt gathered representatives from Harvard, Yale, and Princeton to try to, to save the game by redeveloping the rules. At the time... He had sons, one that was playing collegiately, one that was playing at like a secondary level. There wasn't really pro yet, but it was like a post-college league. Um, So he had sort of a a vested interest in this. But he he had the foresight to see that if this game doesn't get safer, everybody's going to have to stop playing it. And he liked the game, and his his sons liked the game, so he wanted to save that. So there's also a drunk history about this, which is really interesting. Oh, 
The, so this is no safety gear or anything? Yeah, so at the Just time... Just like striped sweaters and khakis? Yeah, at the time, you're not seeing a lot of... <laughs> even like the yellow... The leather helmets. Um, yeah. You're, you're, yeah, not much safety gear. Um, so at this meeting, they proposed a, 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 a number of different rules. Um, the one thing they did is they experimented uh, with the number of scrimmage plays for, for a first down. They reduced it from four to three, so it's fewer plays. Um, they, a couple years later in developing this safer game, that's in quotes, they, they basically enacted the idea that you can't hold, right? You can't pull people down, um, that you can't do any interlocking interference, which is basically like you can't lock arms with somebody and clothesline someone, which <laughs> apparently at, at one point that was happening Just a lot. red rovering down the, down the field. Basically. Yes. Um, uh, but they also, and this is a bigger thing, they um, eventually legalized the forward pass. So you weren't just always trying to run the ball at someone. You could now throw it down the field. And that made for a much safer game, which is ironic because it's now what makes for a much more dangerous game. But that's because people are bigger and faster uh, now than they were. So you have people running across the field and getting blindsided by somebody. But at the time, doing that was safer than just butting heads because there was no safety gear. Does oh, that make okay. sense? Yeah, that Do you think sense. that throwing and passing also made it somewhat of a more like fast-paced game? It did. Um, it made it more entertaining because it wasn't very popular to watch at the time. Okay. Um, it, it ultimately did make it a more um, exciting game to watch. It made the offense and defense more varied, right? Now you know you don't know what's coming every time, right? It's not just a pushing match. Mm. You can do okay. you know this is the days before the play action pass, right? So now you have things like play action where you might run a play where you fake a handoff, right? And then you throw it, which causes the defense to sort of flinch, right? They don't know exactly what to expect. So anything can happen and you can also sort of fake it. Um, I will say that there was a rule eventually that doesn't stand anymore where you could only throw the ball if you didn't back up more than five yards. So you couldn't just like throw it from anywhere behind the line of scrimmage like now, but they, they did throw that out eventually. Um, like I said, they got rid of mass formations. Um, and in uh, on December 28th of uh, 1910, I believe, my notes are a little jumbled. 62 schools met in New York City to discuss rule changes, and as a result, they formed the Intercollegiate Athletic Association of the United States, which is now the NCAA. So oh. that that has is, is been in existence for over 100 years. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. I got more. Would have got any other questions as we go along here? No. I think I'm following along here. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Football. Football. You got it. Very good. Um, well, well, does any of this get into why it's called football, not like handball or something? You know, I didn't really find that. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know. Because you said the one thing was like some more similar to soccer, but was it was being called football before that, wasn't it? It was. And the term soccer is an American thing as well. Yeah. Because in Europe, they don't call it They don't soccer. call it soccer. So I'm not sure. That's a good question. Maybe something to look up as we're talking. But Sure. Let's talk about pro football. November 12th, 19, sorry, November 12th, 1892, William Pudge Heffelfinger. Mm, yep. Old Pudge William Pudge Heffelfinger. Classic, became, classic Pudge. What do you think is notable about him? Pulling his Pudge. He's pulling his Pudge. <laughs> he was the first paid football player. 
He took a break from pulling his pudge to play in a game. That's how he got into the head of his p- opponents. He's just standing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Wait, you guys hear that? that? Oh, that's just old pudge. What's that? What that noise? That's pudge. He's got um, the old Heffelfinger he was paid, going. He was paid $500 by the Allegheny Athletic Association to play in a game against the Pittsburgh Athletic Club. That was a secret payment, so he was the first professional football player, but that was done in secret. Is he like a ringer? Yeah, he was a big star apparently in college. Okay. And he was like an offensive lineman, I think. Um, but at the time when it was still a lot of like running plays, that was a big deal. Um, September 3rd, 1895, the first fully professional game occurred in Latrobe, Pennsylvania against the Latrobe uh, Athletic Association against the Jeanette Athletic Club. Um uh, in 1897, you have your first pro football team. So you start to see the development of, of professional football here. Um, in 1902, the first professional football league, the National Football League, was formed. That is not the same as the NFL now. It does okay. crumble eventually. Uh, and it was formed when pro baseball teams in the offseason formed professional football teams. Because, you know, what are you going to do? Got play. <laughs> And then you have the Ohio League, which was formed in cities like Massillon, Akron, Portsmouth, and Canton. They all formed pro teams, and they are the direct predecessor to the modern NFL. Um, it was a very loose coalition and a betting scandal, much like what happened in baseball at one point. Basically destroyed the league. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Intense. Mark, want me to keep going? What do you got? Yeah. Questions? All right. Try to keep pointing them at you. No, no. All right. I'm going to get through this. We're not too far from the end. 1920, the American Professional Football Association was founded. Um, and this was founded when they uh, a group of potential team developers met at a car dealership in canton ohio this is why this is why why the hall of fame is in canton and they elected jim thorpe as their president now everybody knows who jim thorpe was i have heard of him very famous athlete he was the first native american to win a gold medal he played professional football for the canton bulldogs and professional baseball for the new york giants i also read that his um his i think he won a gold medal in like 1912 but his gold medal was taken away in the 30s because they discovered that he had been paid to play professional baseball prior to being in the olympics and that went against their um amateurism rules and then in the 80s long after his death they reinstated the gold medals it's just fun fun fact um so the the, the dream team of the 90s <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a far cry from that exactly right we're, yeah. we're gonna take all the best players from the nba and send them over to europe to play basketball we're gonna have to i wonder if they'll win jim thorpe yeah um there were 14 teams and we talked about this before we started these names are pretty great the akron pros the cleveland indians canton bulldogs chicago tigers columbus panhandlers here we are in columbus ohio there was a professional football team in columbus who knew uh, how appropriate that would be with people screaming at me in the short north. You know, I might look this up because I had written on this paper at one point the Columbus Panhandlers, and then I wrote somewhere else the Columbus Panhandles. So it might not be as fun. I as I, uh, I found a list of defunct teams <laughs> from the twenties, yeah. and I I'm pretty sure that it was the Panhandles, 
like okay. the Florida Panhandle, Panhandles. but I'm not sure what that. There was a reason means. for this, but I, at one point I wrote down Panhandlers, and I think I just thought that was funny. Here, I'll look it up. Um, the Dayton Triangles. Dayton it, Triangles. It's it's Panhandles. Damn. Uh, the <clears throat> Decatur Staleys, who eventually became the Chicago Ooh. Bears. That's just when George Hallis bought them. George Hallis. That's such George a, Hallis. A clumsy name. Yeah, it gets worse. Decatur Staleys. Staleys. The Detroit Heralds. The Hammond Pros. The Muncie Flyers, or as Tom Haverford would say, Muncie. In Muncie. So there's more than one pro team. Pros. Mm-hmm. Akron Pros. Akron Pros and the Hammond Pros. Uh, but one is spelled like the written language. The Racine Cardinals. The Rochester Jeffersons. I think that's my favorite. Rock Island Independence and the Buffalo All Americans. Rock Flag and Eagle. <laughs> I got a couple more teams here for oh, you. I want to shout out to our, our friend Mike who told me that his favorite thing about this podcast is how often we reference uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Uh, the Boston Yanks. Boston Yanks. The Duluth Eskimos. The Boston Yanks exist for a very specific reason. I'm going to talk about it for a minute, and I okay. think you'll find this funny. Uh, the Kenosha Maroons and the Tonawanda Cardex, whatever that is. <laughs> I'll, I'll be fair. These are not as funny as baseball team names, but that's because there were so many baseball teams. Every town in this country at one point had a little baseball team. So It's like uh, hardcore bands. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Um, this league, the American Professional Football Association, struggled in the early years, uh, especially in the first year. But in 1921, after only one year, they expanded to 22 teams, one of which was the Green Bay Packers. And by the mid-20s, they had expanded to 25 teams. In 1932, they played their first playoff game, the Chicago Bears versus the Portsmouth Spartans. Um, basically, it was the two teams that had the best record played in a championship game. But it was so popular that in 1933, they reorganized the entire league into two divisions so that there would be two teams at the end to play in championship. They also enacted some new rules um, that uh, all the plays start within the hash marks. So if you think about a football field, you have those hash marks. Um, you have this every play from scrimmage starts between the hash marks. I know those from marching band. Yep. And that the forward pass can happen anywhere behind the line of scrimmage. As I mentioned before, you couldn't go more than five yards back. I right. Um, in 1936, that was a big year. They enacted the draft. Basically, they were able to draft college players, so it, it allowed for faster expansion of the league. And at the time, um, there was an American Football League that formed, which is actually the second of American Football League, the AFL that had formed. There was another one that had formed and failed. Um, so you start to see kind of a, a direct competitor to the uh, to the new NFL. When we did our uh, Thanksgiving episode, we talked about football briefly. Yeah. And uh, like by the 30s, it was a pretty like ubiquitous American thing and people were really into into football. It, it was getting busy. It was getting more popular. It really hits its stride in the 50s. Okay. And there's a reason for that. So in the 1930s, you had some teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles formed. They also um, elected their first commissioner of the league. But during World War II, a player shortage caused merged teams like the Boston Yanks. But my favorite one is the Eagles and the Steelers formed a merged team called... The Steagles? The Steagles. Really? Exactly right. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Eaglers. The Eaglers. <laughs> The Pittsdelphia Eaglers. That's the <laughs> Pittsdelphia Eaglers. 
Pits, Pits, Pittsadelphia. <laughs> We're back to that again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Words are funny when you they put them together. Pitsophia Eagles. I would have named it something like, you know, like a griffin that's a combination of a bunch of different animals. I think that would be a great full name. Yeah. You know, like a griffin that's like a combination you know, like a of a griffin. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to fit that on a hat. It is. It is. 1946, <laughs> the All-American Football Conference is formed. It folded very quickly, but the teams in that league joined up with the NFL, and that includes the Cleveland Browns. That's my team. The San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Colts, which is not the same Colts we know now. That would later form again as the Baltimore Colts in years uh, later. Um, and the remaining players were distributed in a dispersal draft throughout the rest of the league. So this caused a lot of growth in that league. Um, 1950, the Los Angeles Rams, the first team to televise their entire schedule. And that's what makes football popular. In the 50s, they start to televise games nationally. Mm. Makes a very wide audience. So they were the LA Rams before? They were the LA Rams when they started. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's not a coincidence that they moved that team from LA to St. Louis and then back to LA. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, 1958, League championship game between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants, considered the greatest game ever played, ended in sudden death overtime. It was nationally televised, and it is considered a watershed moment in the popularity of professional football. Um, That is a big deal. In 1959, the American Football League forms yet again. Um, but this time it actually doesn't fold. It's a, a true competitor to the NFL because football's become so popular and because of television. It's a real threat. Um, and it grows so much that in 1966 they have a partial merger, meaning they have a common draft, and they had the AFL-NFL championship game, or AFL-NFL world championship, which in 1968 is renamed to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, in 1968-1969, the AFL team wins. And that is such a big thing because in 1970, it's a full merger, forming the new NFL with 26 teams. They bring some things into play uh, from the AFL, like names on jerseys, a scoreboard clock, national television contracts, and a gate share between the home and visiting team. And that is how we have our merged NFL with an AFC and NFC conference and our modern American professional football. And when you say gate share, that is money from tickets? Correct. Just like what happens in college football now. That's why Ohio State plays like little tiny teams, because it gets those colleges a bunch of money. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. How charitable. Yeah. Yes. It's also so they can beat up on them. If there's one thing I know about OSU, it's that they're very charitable. Extremely charitable. I learned that from Archie Griffin sending me a letter every month <laughs> asking for money. There you go. So, <clears throat> that was my my long and short of American football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. There you go. I'd be interested to hear about some American economic okay. stuff. Yeah. So I figured I'd stop there because that's now we're in the modern era. And... Apparently, America yeah. loves football. Number one sport in the country. As of a, I think, Gallup poll from the 70s, surpassed baseball. Yeah, and is now, I think baseball is fourth. NASCAR is second. Okay. Professional basketball is third, and I think the NHL is fifth. Okay. Yeah. So I was kind of interested in learning a little bit about football from an economic perspective and uh, came up with some really interesting stats here. Um, so as we already said, football is the number one sport 
in the country and thus so is also a huge economic business in itself um through uh football ticket sales ads on tv tv broadcast rights corporate endorsements for um stadiums whatnot in general um players hawking products for companies and and ads and stuff um consumer spending generated by advertisements and tie-ins merchandising huge deal so I read an article from last year that stated the NFL was expected to generate $14 billion in revenue from their last season. It's a fucking shitload of money. Even even with all the Kaepernick stuff. Oh, yeah. It hasn't had that. I don't think it's had that big of an effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, uh, A different, like... I mean, I wonder what, like, what did they make five years ago? uh, I I have that. This is stated as revenue, and revenue isn't the same as profit, just as a disclaimer. So you're talking gross, not net. Yeah. Um, Another minute. A different article, I tried to kind of verify this. A a 2010 article estimated $9.5 billion per year. So it's going up. And in 2017, Commissioner Roger Goodell. 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 Goodell to you. Hey, I dude, I'm getting a, a Goodell. Um, <laughs> dude, said, I'm getting a Goodell. <laughs> he said <laughs> he set a, a benchmark that he he hoped that the NFL would generate 25 billion per year between 2017 and uh, 2027 in the next 10 years. Mm. That's I'm sure he does. Uh, goal. Yeah, he would I love that. Yeah. Um, Call that a touchdown. College football is uh, big business, too. The uh, NCAA, I almost called it the NAACP, uh, got uh, $7.3 billion over the next 12 years just for broadcast rights for college games. Yeah, I mean, there are teams like Notre Dame that have an exclusive contract with NBC and have for 30 years, 40 years. Notre Dame just got a new stadium. Garth Brooks played there. Really? They have a new stadium? Chris Gaines Stadium. It's it's Chris Gaines Stadium. <laughs> I read an article that Mr. Yearwood that talked a little bit about how high school football is growing too and becoming a commodified thing. Um, there's money for local football TV coverage, and there were uh, a couple of stadiums who uh, who got multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars for naming rights for a high school football stadium. That seems like a weird conflict of interest yeah i think that's kind of my problem with big sports is that it seems kind of like the commodification of people in a way that yeah absolutely i have a very specific issue with football we can get into later but it has to do with that so uh nfl game ticket costs can be between 60 and 300 dollars per ticket and i'm sure that it's probably more for a, a super bowl ticket or some kind of special game oh yeah um, but on top of that attendees are expected to spend an additional 40 to 100 dollars per person on concessions and merchandise and stuff inside of the stadium tailgating was brought up in one of these articles as well as a, a cheaper option to kind of participate in a sporting event like this 
but the average uh, tailgate party, people spend about $200 to host. So even that is money for, for somebody. That's um, why I always see Tostitos with the football on the bag. It's oh, not even yeah. like an NFL thing. They just put a football on it. No, they're just they're marketing directly to that culture. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I read said that there was a slightly noticeable increase in meat sales during football season. Seriously. Slightly noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Bought, bought, purchased mainly by, by people with a slightly noticeable increase Pudge. in meat sales. Yeah. Pudge. <laughs> um, fantasy football. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Uh, I get asked every year yeah. to do fantasy football and I just, I hate it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't care. Well, fantasy football platforms have become a $7 billion industry in themselves. For Are you serious? Yes. It's legalized gambling. Um, most, oh, so just like the web... I'll, I'll let you go. Well, most websites work by charging people to participate in order to have a chance of winning money or a prize or something. I thought it was just like a thing you did like... On your on your Excel sheet with your coworkers. Or That's something. how it started, but now it's it's a. There are websites and and apps and and platforms and stuff where people could do this on a wider scale. Oh, Basically, okay. so you don't have to track the statistics yourself. It'll calculate your point totals based on um, the players you start each week. Oh, there was that thing that was getting advertised on on podcasts. Um, I forget what they're called. You know what I'm talking yeah, there about. There are a couple different companies. Yeah, and they they were getting into things because it was like internet gambling and they were trying to sidestep all these regulations and everything yeah anyway other sites are free to users but rely on ads to to make money but you know advertising is is huge too i wonder what those ads are like Uh, i got some some info on that as well super bowl has a noticeable effect on snack sales and it's second only to thanksgiving as far as food centric holidays my brother and i got together for the super bowl and we each ate two steaks very good. Yeah. They were just there. How so. are you feeling after that? Oh, uh, pretty good. He cooked them really well. He got a box of Omaha steaks from uh, my uncle for Christmas. Ooh. But he also got Omaha hot dogs. And so I've been calling Paul. Our friend Paul is from Omaha, Nebraska. So I've been calling him Omaha hot dogs. <laughs> Would you, why wouldn't you just call him Omaha hot dogs? I'm, I don't know. Save everybody some time. The Omaha hot dogs <laughs> o- sounds Omaha like dogs. A, a winning team. <laughs> Omaha hot dogs. <laughs> so Omaha uh, hot dogs. Yes. Omaha hot dogs. <laughs> it's so much. You asked about uh, advertising uh, in the Super Bowl and stuff. So did I? What question did you just? Ask I asked me? what the ads were like on a on his fantasy football website. Oh, I, I misunderstood. I want you to. I want you to pretend. Imagine what would you advertise on that. Um, one of those body sprays that makes all the ladies chase after you. You like trucks? It, hey, look at this. It's a commercial for backwards hats. <laughs> it's a commercial for a shit-eating grin. <laughs> <laughs> or a blank stare. <laughs> and a girl who will try to fix you. Whoa. Too much. What was that? What was that woman's name? The the blonde, like the busty blonde that was in all the uh, Game of War commercials. Oh, oh yeah, she's married to uh, a baseball player. What is her name? Um, she was like a thoroughly useless person. <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs> 
Oh. It's probably a lot of her. What would I search to find this? Big Boobs McGee. That was it. That was it. What is her name? What's her middle name? Big Boobs H. McGee. That was it. H, yeah. Yeah. Middle name is Boobs. Hubert. Big Boobs. Big Boobs Boobs McGee. (laughs) Who Boobs? (laughs) What is her name? I can't remember. I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You know. Do I? You know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So the Super Bowl just happened and commercials during the Super Bowl have become just as big. For some people, that's Bowl. like the whole reason they watch them. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the Super Bowl on TV has an estimated 100 million plus viewers. And wow. ads during the first Super Bowl in 1967 cost between $37,500 and $42,500. And they had a cap on how much an ad would cost. So so cap at uh, definitely lower than 50 grand. Yeah. Because now people are spending... How much do you think an, uh, a 30-second ad costs? I, I've read that it, it costs more in two... the first quarter than it does in the third quarter, right? So like a first quarter ad, because everybody's still watching the game right at the beginning. 30 seconds is like, what, $2 million or something? I bet it's more. I bet it's like Five 20. Million. Five million. That's when you get Pepsi, right? Or something like that. Huge companies that are going to buy that or like first quarter ad space and then you gotta yeah. p- you gotta pay uh five billion is the average cost then you gotta pay the actors five to do a billion no, sorry five five million is the average cost yeah okay and, and then on top of that you gotta pay the actors to do like the like sex in the city big lebowski crossover oh that yeah Stella the production Artois of did. the commercial itself is probably almost as much as the ad space yeah so you're you're spending does that mean that the big lebowski and the sex in the city exist in the same universe yep I think we all knew that. <laughs> there's there, clue, there's, there were signs everywhere. There's clues everywhere. Yeah. So the average now for a 30 second ad is five million, but that They're price has that price has doubled in the last ten years. Um, Adjusted for inflation. I can't speak to that. <laughs> yeah. It's Kate Upton speaking of inflation. Kate Upton. Oh, uh, okay, I'm aware. You know, five million is a lot, but. Uh, companies plan to maximize their investment with sustained brand awareness generated through social media platforms. Like, mm. if there's a cool commercial, people share it. It gets played all the time. Well, do you remember Terry Tate, Office Linebacker? Yeah, I think so. By far my favorite of all Super Bowl commercials. But apparently that was at first like an internet video. And this is like in the late 90s or the early 2000s before social media. Mm. So they were seeing that way of like... This doesn't just exist in a vacuum. We make this big advertisement, it gets popularity, and then we use it to spread that brand. Well, Super Bowl ads can go viral online and create more exposure, and social media in the last several years has become a complete game changer on advertising in general. So um, this year, uh, Anheuser-Busch bought about 6.5 minutes of ad time throughout the the Super Bowl. All right, do that math. What's uh 6.5 times 5 million? Yeah. So it's what 45 million dollars? Something like that. That's exactly it. All right. Sorry. I just... Look at the big brain on Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I've multiplied little numbers. <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot That's stuff a lot like of this money. is is blowing my dome. Um <laughs> Pudge. <laughs> I read a, an article from uh, Bleacher Report 
Bleacher Report's a reputable website. Sports, sports website. Yeah, sports. I did my research. Did Sports.org. Did you say 6.5 times 5? Yeah. 6.5 times 5, was that the numbers? Yeah, it's not 45, is it? It's 30, and then it's mm. with 33. 32.5, my man. 32.5. So when I said it was exactly right, it's All way right. off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just wanted to, for the sake of accuracy. <clears throat> I do know there's seven points for a touchdown, if you have the extra point. From a field goal? Field goal is three. All right. Extra point is the ki- the field goal after the touchdown, which gets you an extra okay. one point. Um. All right, still talking about ads here. This is he- hard-hitting football facts. <laughs> so fat internet. Huge companies like, uh, <laughs> like Pepsi bank on celebrity notoriety in their commercials i think this year they had cardi b lil john and steve carell yeah i got to see what cardi b looked like and know that she existed i asked my brother who's <laughs> who is this person and he explained it to me and then couldn't believe that i didn't know who she was she's yeah. making money moves dude i like her apparently i don't know i know are she you still into now. like um little trap and booty rock or whatever lil uzi vert yeah that's <laughs> no <laughs> Uh, there's a, there was a Doritos commercial that I saw that had Chance the Rapper in it. Um, some companies can go another route. I think, uh, Kia had some kind of commercial that was more oriented to their founding of a scholarship than advertising their car. Stuff like that looks good for a company in whatever way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lesser known companies will pay that 5 million and bet big that exposure like that will really help them, uh, and get their brand out there. Um, but it's always companies ex- that their brand is out there. I think that's like, how Expedia started. I remember, like, it cost us this money for this much money for thirty. That's seconds. how GoDaddy started. GoDaddy used to run very expensive commercials in the Super Bowl with Danica Patrick, like five or ten years ago. Yeah, and it was always like, "I'm about to take my top off." Right. Go to GoDaddy.com to not see anything else. Yeah, to find a bunch of like. Did that work out? Forms to fill out to make a website. Isn't GoDaddy just a website where you purchase URLs? Yeah. Yeah. I think they still make commercials, though. They do, yeah. but now it's Danica Patrick like dressed very sensibly talking about how important it is to have a, a purchased domain. The we'll, Me Too we'll era. Grow up. Purchased domain. The, Hell yeah. <laughs> the Me Too era really undermined the whole GoDaddy business model, unfortunately. I don't like GoDaddy as an, a business name. I don't like it as a th- anything. It's, yeah, it's yes, a strange daddy, name. <laughs> Go daddy. Yeah, I don't. But I remember that. Like that was that that company was like came out of nowhere and yeah. put a lot of money into their, their Super Bowl advertisements. And I, I guess that paid off that they still exist. But I don't intend to kink shame anybody. But I was talking to somebody recently and they they were like, why would you ever want to call your beloved daddy? Why is that a thing you would want to do? Oh. I have a story that I'll share offline. Okay. That would I wouldn't want anybody to call me that. I'd be like, don't that's weird. I would think that was weird too. It would freak me out. I don't know, maybe I don't see the appeal. Maybe there is one that I'm not seeing. Alright, I'm gonna tell my story. Because I just it's it's too pertinent to what you're saying. Okay. I was in a hotel, I think in Pittsburgh. And oh well, that explains. I was trying to sleep, and through the wall against my head, there was a couple in the next room. As Paul Simon would say, "Is bound to win a prize." There's a song there. Um, but she was 
yelling daddy, which is one thing that happens. But when you see them the next morning and she's seven months pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) I opened the door. I saw them walk past my room and I was just like, uh, I don't know how to process this. Layers. Layers. Yeah. Pertinent. It made me wonder which one of them was into that. Though. I'm glad that he stuck around. Is that like a thing that he wanted her to do? Or is that like a thing for her that is like a... I don't know. That was the most tasteful way I could tell that story. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a section on the <laughs> NFL.com website that's called Economics and Social Impact, where the NFL kind of talks itself up about all these good things that they're doing. Yeah, well, they're desperate for good PR. Even enough players... First of all... Yeah. This section of the website had some contradictory and confusing statistics. Are you surprised? No, but I don't know what I don't know what to believe now. Well, um, they Roger claim Goodale doesn't doesn't believe it. Then Roger Goodale. I? Goodale. <laughs> Am I the only one who can say his name? <laughs> they you know claim... who the commissioner was prior to him? Paul Tagliabue. <laughs> no, That's thanks. a tough name. Oh, I got something about that later on. Okay. Coming right up. And get Tagliabooed. Um, so they claim Tagliabooed that, up. that uh, charitable giving is a, a large part of the NFL's operating goal. Um, they have an NFL foundation that focuses on youth football programs, research and technology for things that they believe help players, like I assume helmets and pads and stuff like that. Is this like the Play 60 thing too, where they encourage children to play for 60 minutes a day um like, I, physical activity I don't know if I read about that yeah. um but they also have a, a community involvement element to this and to be fair that is a big thing the uh, players do a lot of community work. I think all of this stuff is good but um on their website they say that um the NFL foundation has spent or, or given uh, 430 million to charities and youth football programs since like the 70s but considering that this annu- like very much money then annually it's a yeah a multi-billion dollar business that's nothing over 40 years that's the way that it, that it was presented on their website you could check it yeah I, I might have misunderstood no i'm sure that's what it says but that's that's uh <clears throat> this uh great. This NFL foundation has a $60 million collaboration with GE and Under Armour um, called the Head Health Initiative uh, that deals with concussion research and treatment as well as tech research. There's a company in town working on this. I got a tour of their facility. Oh, God. I can't remember what they're called, but they they are largely a technology company that produces, um, basically do contract work for other companies, and they are... They inherent inherited a contract for a. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's like a. It's some sort of of cushioning device that you wear to help prevent concussions. Okay. It's not FDA approved, but there are a couple players experimentally wearing it in the NFL right now, like Luke Keekley, who's had several concussions and probably should stop playing. Um, to to and I can't remember. It was explained to me how it works, but I was also there filming, so I can't. I wasn't really paying close attention. Okay. Um, but there, this is a company in town. This part of this this information that I got from their website was kind of vague, so I, I don't know, like what exactly this entails. 
um, NFL aids in the development of technologies that help players and they also state that it has a wider arching social and military aspect what does that mean I don't know what's the military aspect it didn't say but I'm thinking like helmets and protective gear and stuff like that oh. could have a military aspect yeah that, that can be applied yeah, that, that makes sense. that makes sense yeah um they also do a lot with um other charitable organizations like uh they've had a, a long-standing partnership with united way yep. the american cancer society uh mothers against drunk driving and emphasizes uh players do charitable volunteer things as well so i don't know that's good stuff to do but i don't know, I don't know. this I mean, year that's all pretty standard any of these yeah. big professional leagues their players do a certain amount of charitable work that's usually part of their contract they're required to do a certain and some of them go out of their way and do a lot more and they actually give a, a separate a walter payton award for that sort of a thing but i imagine that there is some sort of requirement here to do a certain amount within the community um so we talked about uh advertising in terms of stupid amounts of money players salaries are also very big um top household name players can make about 30 million per year including bonuses ads and endorsements um tom brady gets about 15 million uh an annual average plus bonuses and endorsements so if he wants to go do a commercial or whatever that's another probably million some dollars yeah and to clarify bonuses fall into place because when you play in a playoff game you get so much money if you win the playoff game you get so much money so in the postseason you make more money the better you do okay um aaron donald who i believe is a he's a rookie defensive lineman or linebacker for the rams well he must be doing pretty good because he's getting about 22 million yeah yeah big contract He's a um, he's a first round draft pick. Those guys get a lot of money. Um, a rookie player has a minimum annual salary of uh, four hundred and eighty thousand for a one year contract. That's a rookie contract. What's the league minimum? Like, if you're on the practice squad, isn't the league minimum still like two hundred thousand dollars? Well, though, is that different than a rookie player? Well, rookie, like you can be on the practice squad. So they might hire you if you're like a washed up high school player to be on the practice team to help the team practice. Oh, I see. And then you still get a league minimum, which is still six figures. Okay. I didn't I didn't write that down, but as a normal player, uh, 480,000 uh, was was the minimum for that. I guess the uh, the NFL did some sort of recent collective bargaining agreement and changed a little bit about how um, pay structures work. Yeah, there is a there is a players <clears throat> union. Um, more experience yields a higher salary. So if you've been in the NFL for three years, um, you get a minimum of seven hundred and five thousand. If you're in there for nine years, uh, the minimum is uh, nine hundred and fifteen thousand. And the uh, the refs and officials and coaches and everybody else, they make a lot of money as well. So. There's a CBS report from 2014. Um, there are 121 NFL officials and earn between 
4000 and $10,000 per game. They could afford to go to the optometrist, am I right? <laughs> am I right? The average salary hey, you? Uh, the average salary of an NFL official in 2019 was almost uh, $201,000. How much money do you think Goodell makes? What's his salary? I mean Roger Roger Godell? Roger Godell.com. <laughs> Godell.com. He, I I would say that he probably makes I don't know five or ten million per year per year. <laughs> no, <laughs> he he has an annual salary of uh, thirty one point seven million dollars. Holy shit! That's, that's a lot. That is a lot. That's too much. <laughs> that's that's too much money. What what does he do exactly? He know. sweats on camera. He sweats. He gets booed when he announces players of the draft. They just boo. You ever seen this? He, yes. They just boo him relentlessly. I heard he's not a very popular man. He is not a very popular man. <laughs> Paul Dagliabue was a pretty popular man. Roger Goodell. With a name like that. Yeah. It's am- I'm amazed that we are pronouncing Tagliabue without a, without any issue. That sounds like a, but a Mediterranean is- dish. <laughs> Get a bowl of tagliabue. Side of gabagool. Um, okay, so th- those are some of my economic stats. Um, I also wrote down the 2018 NFL regular season average regular season game attendance. I understood all of that. Okay, for for certain teams. Well, let me see. Um, average stadium in the NFL probably holds about seventy thousand people. So per game i'm going to say that's about right because you only have eight home games a year whereas in baseball you've got uh 81 home games a year Jesus. baseball plays 162 games in a season yeah that's intense i love baseball so i mentioned earlier that the average ticket was between like 40 and 300 dollars, but the was the, i right about that number yeah um the number one i guess largest regular attendance is the cowboys they are America's team. Um, 91,619 average attendance for their games. So they've got a little bigger stadium because of the the need. Yeah. The draw. You multiply that by an average of like 60 bucks. Let me let me just let me do that exactly. Some, Here we go. More of that. Uh, <laughs> it will be correct. It was, it was exactly do not question correct. me. Jets, Packers, thirteen million, Giants, and Broncos <laughs> were the next largest teams, and they were between seventy-eight thousand and uh, seventy-six thousand. You said Jets, Giants, and Broncos. Jets, Packers, Giants, and Broncos. So Jets and Giants makes sense. New York, Green Bay. Do you know what's interesting about Green Bay? They're privately owned. They are the only. They're owned by the city. They've got a board of directors oh, in the city. Not. Publicly yeah. owned. They're Isn't publicly there another owned. team, though? Nope. Okay. The Green Bay Packers are the only team. They are publicly owned. They are owned by the city. And the other thing is that, like, it's such a tight-knit community. They have a huge attendance because people have owned those seats for decades. Don't they have a lottery or something? They have a lottery, but, but most people inherit inherit seats from their parents mm. when they die. Like, okay. that's, it's like, it's that kind of community. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. I think that's kind of a, a cool... I think it's great. I think that that public ownership is the way that all the teams. Those are the cheesers. They're the cheesers. 
I think two things. I think all the teams should be publicly owned like the Packers are. I also think that all contracts should be like what the Saints did with Ricky Williams when he was signed because they, they wrote a contract that was based on performance. So he got paid more the better he did. So you don't have people going out there like Randy Moss and half-assing it. I was at Ricky Williams' first game. He got turf toe in the first quarter. He had a tough career. It was a, it was a rough time. Turf toe, and then he got kicked out for smoking weed. Came back, still smoking weed. I think now he helps coach a high school team. That's cool. Just hanging out. Ricky Williams. Yeah. Apparently, he's a really nice guy. I've heard that about him. Um, all right. So we've talked about many different leagues, primarily the NFL. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about alternative leagues. Going to give you some interesting stats. I'm going to jump around a little bit. We're going to start by going all the way back to 1983. I we're think I know what's coming here. Talk about the USFL. Uh, the USFL was created by a man named David Dixon. Yeah. Who was a New Orleans businessman. Molasses just falling out of your mouth. <laughs> That's Savannah. Yeah. New Orleans businessman. <laughs> 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 he, <laughs> he had to, he had the idea to have a summer league while the NFL was off. Yeah, spring and summer league. Spring and summer. It, it makes sense. It does make sense. Um, now, it was difficult in some cases because the NFL uh, didn't want to share their stadiums. So sometimes they had to sidestep that, use different areas. They also didn't like when players wanted to play in both leagues. Yeah, they didn't We like talked that. about Brian Sipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we um, talked about this privately, to clarify. Yes. You didn't miss something. Um, so the basic idea of the USFL, it ran for three seasons. Uh, everything was pretty good. They did well enough. Um, Bill Belichick was involved, who is now the, the uh, I almost said the director. <laughs> He's the coach of the, the Los Angeles Patriots. Was it New England? New England. I'd really, I do know about football. Do you know, I truly do you forgot know where, where he were. was the coach before that? Um, the Browns. He was the coach of the Cleveland Browns when they left. When they left the league. Oh, he went with the when they became the Ravens. He didn't go with them. He took Bill Parcells' job as the coach of the Patriots. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he was the coach of the Browns. <clears throat> Um, I want to add something. Uh, Herschel Walker was a very important player in the USFL. Heisman Trophy winner. Heisman Trophy winner. There were three Heisman Trophy winners in the USFL. He was one of them. Um, this is just recently. Trump, who we're going to talk about in a moment, was heavily involved with the USFL. He just appointed Herschel Walker and Bill Belichick uh, on his Council on Sports. So those guys work for the 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 country what, great what does a council on sports they advise mean? uh him and his constituency about like how do we make kids get outside and play sports or whatever do it's you, very nebulous from what i read there's a council on sports and bill belichick okay. and herschel walker are on it during have, during the super bowl this <clears throat> year how did you feel about the uh like civil rights thing at the beginning i didn't catch that what happened i didn't i didn't watch okay i don't know they were just talking about like the legacy of civil rights and stuff in a way that seemed a little pandering especially given the way they've handled some things most definitely yeah do you have they had um martin luther king jr's um daughter i she did the coin flip yeah she flipped the shit out of that coin boom she really flipped it 
I remember yelling, that's a hell of a flip. Beyond the point. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Do you have the name of the other two Heisman Trophy winners? Because I, I want to try to guess mm-hmm. them. Steve Young? No? I Steve, think that's right, yes. Steve Young was big in the USFL before he came to the NFL. Yeah. From Walking Dead? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, Steve Young, the Korean guy. Oh, oh, oh. It's <laughs> not how you say his name. Um, Roger Goodell. Goodell. And then... Um, Goodell Park. God, Steve Young. Think cornflakes, but like not... Doug Flutie. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ones. Were yeah. were there different rules in this league, or is it just like another? To my understanding, they were. The, it was the same, the same rules. It was just to do a summer league. Yeah. Okay. There might have been little differences here and there, but overall, it's the same game. Um, that's why like people could play in both leagues. They could transition coaching from one to the other. You know, whatever. Um, they could use the same stadiums because the, the 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 fields were used the same way. You know, yeah. stuff like that. Um, so let's talk about Donald Trump with the USFL, because this is really the most interesting part, I thought, about the USFL. Absolutely. For the most part, it was like, it was a football league. It was fine. Kind of did the same stuff the NFL was doing. So here's some interesting facts. Um, Trump got in the game. He owned the New Jersey Generals. They did pretty well under him. That probably, I don't know how much the owner of a team has to do with the success of the team. Probably but, a lot in the beginning, but... I, I truly I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. Uh, um, he got into it because he wanted to m- get a merger with the NFL. This was a business opportunity. He was not passionate about football. Um, he signed former NFL players as Brian Sipe, Gary Barbaro. Uh, he tried to get Don Shula from the Dolphins to coach, but Shula wanted an apartment in Trump Tower, <laughs> and Trump didn't want to give him that. He was giving him... Like six figures. That's all he wanted? And Shula was like, well, I want an apartment in Trump Tower. And then Trump went on a talk show and said, like, yeah, this asshole Don Shula wants an apartment in Trump Tower. I'm not going to give it to him. And Shula's like, bye. And just dropped the deal completely. Wow. So it's been like this for a while, guys. Being a dick. Like 36 years, it's been the same shit. It's, this is not new. Um, they had three Heisman winners, as we already mentioned. Um, and so Trump got in there and he says, we're going to push for fall games. We're going to go head to head with the NFL. And people were like, the other, other owners thought this, they were like, this is a bad idea. That's unnecessary. This is not what we got into. Everything is going fine. Why do we need to do this? Right. Um, he is quoted as saying, if God wanted football in the spring, he wouldn't have created baseball. That's a pretty good quote. <laughs> I hate to say. Yeah. It. And it's, it's, it's also doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> It's, it's it's pretty it's pretty good. It's it's good to say in like a boardroom, right? I can see. But it then on a you t-shirt. think about it, and you're like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's but. it's like when you, that <laughs> that goes on a t-shirt in the same aisle as the shirt with like a boy and his sticks, and on the back it's a bunch of famous dudes' drum sets like Neil Peart and Tools of the Trade. And it's yeah, just a bunch of guitars and Tommy Lee Jones from Motley Crue. I had a shirt like that um, when I was a kid. <laughs> Tools of the Trade guitar yeah. shirt. What's the guy's name? Which guy? The drum. It's not Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee. He's <laughs> Tommy Lee. <laughs> play, play, just play a straight beat. I don't care. <laughs> Can we get one of those drum sets that flips around? I don't care. Uh, you know what the difference between you and me is? I don't know how to play an instrument. 
Um, okay. So they try this fall game lineup. And so Trump files an antitrust suit against the NFL, calls them monopolists, which technically, sure. Um, he did not have a case. He won the suit. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He won the monopoly suit. Let, let's be clear. The court found in his favor. Yeah. However, the jury, he asked for $1.2 billion. Okay. And I'm pretty sure Paul Tagliabue went. <laughs> yeah. No. He wanted to merge because they'd already merged. There's already 26 teams like this. is Like, what the fuck? He wanted to merge and a big settlement, $1.2 billion. The jury said, you know what? You're right. We're going to give you $1. And in antitrust suits, the triple the, the settlement amount. He got $3.77 or something <laughs> for all of that trouble. He <clears throat> toppled the entire league, put all of these people out of a job, failed miserably in the media, and got $3. Against the advice of the other owners. And I think at the time there were 30 NFL teams. <laughs> so like... <laughs> Yeah, um, there were, I think there were thirty. So, so like, there, how are you going to pull this off? It's there's a thirty for thirty about this. You who, should watch who, it. It's it called is, Who it Killed is, the USFL? It is fascinating. Bill Belichick is in there a lot. There's a lot about him too. That's the quick version of that. I just think that is hilarious. <laughs> also, a great thirty for thirty about Bill Belichick's years with the Browns is fantastic as well. Yeah. Um, go forward in time a little bit. We're going to go to the year two thousand. It was a dark time for culture. <laughs> Limp Biscuit was very popular. Matt Pinfield was still on TV a lot talking about Limp Biscuit and corn. Matt Pinfield comes up every so often in our conversations. I have no ill will toward Matt Pinfield, but he was he was instrumental in the success of Fred Durst. I definitely And for that I will never forgive him. I associate him with shit I don't want to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. But then also like knowing like encyclopedic knowledge of stuff from the 70s that I would never listen to. But like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm not going to look it up. Matt Penfield is the little guy that looks like a bowling pin, right? (laughs) (laughs) He looks like um, who's the comedian who won't touch people's hands. Howie Mandel. He looks like Howie Mandel got stung by a bunch of bees. You remember those little homies figures? He looks kind of like one of those. Little homie Pinfield. Pin, pin. Uh, all right. <clears throat> so, the year 2000, as I mentioned, it is the attitude era of the WWE. This, <laughs> yeah. this was after they got sued by the World, World Wildlife Federation, yes? No, the attitude era was still WWF. Oh, the okay. The end of the attitude era, era is sort of when that happens. Okay. Around the, after the no mercy time. Okay. Forgive me. It was the it was the attitude era of the WWF, which is also very specific. Yeah. So this is your Stone Cold also, Steve Austin. Also ties into Donald Trump again. If t- yes, it does. This is your Stone Cold Steve Austin, your Rock, your Edge and Christian, your Hardy Boys. Gangrel. Remember the Brood? Rikishi. Rikishi. Yeah. A lot of butts. A lot of boobs. A lot of weird stuff. Val Venus. Dudes flipping around, Mick Foley, all this stuff. So Vince McMahon, he's riding high. And he says, you know what? 
NFL, it's all well and good. I want my brand of football out there. We want football for the wrestling fan. What are we going to do? We're going to put mics in the helmets. Everybody's going to have a microphone. And I was thinking about, like, if you're the sound guy for the stadium, Jesus Christ. Nightmare. Somebody had to have been asked to figure out how to do that. I I assume it was just lots of parabolic mics. They were in their helmets. Oh, okay. Well, then... That's 22 channels active at a time. Wireless. Wireless. 22 channels wireless that are getting hit. And there's dudes off the field and there's alternates and everybody's got a microphone. They didn't do that for long. They went to just a quarterback mic. Right. They didn't like it lasted maybe a game. Which is one of the things that has carried over. True. And and the Skycam. Yep, Skycam. But anyway, he comes up with the XFL. That's not how you say it. Not there yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the XFL. What does the X stand for? I don't think it stands for anything. Wasn't it Extreme Football League? Sure. I think they just wanted. Or did the, I make that up? They just wanted the letter X. I, yeah, you're right. I don't think they ever really said it. I think at that time it was you know that era where anything with I mean, it was assumed. Um, Extreme didn't have an E in the front of it. Now I will add. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. The XFL is coming back. By 2020, it will be eight teams. Um, and there is a there is a YouTube advertisement you can watch that is like a halfway rap. There's a beat and the guy is talking in rhythm, but it's really just an inf- informational piece. And I I transcribed it for you. Okay. <laughs> and when you say it in a cool voice over a beat, it's like, oh, this is pretty convincing. I'm just going to read it, just like words. The movement has started. The future is near. New league, new teams, new story starts here. Where a nation began, where big knows no bounds. Where hot will be hotter. Time to turn up the sound. And when they say hot, they have an obscured shot of a hot lady running on a beach. Like it's just enough to be suggestive. Like, look at that hot lady. Because back in 2000, it would have been like, look at these boobs. <laughs> and I was just like, look at this fit lady running on the beach. Yeah, they were pretty aggressive about it back in the day. Yeah. Where glamour meets grit. Where empires are grown. Where great things launch and the game returns home. What does that mean? Where's home? What are you talking about? Philadelphia, 1776. <laughs> Stiegler, Stiegler's. Eight hungry cities. Stiegles. <laughs> Eight hungry cities. Want less of the same. Doing it different, reimagining the game, and then they list the cities. What are the cities? I didn't write them down. <laughs> I'll look them up in a minute. It's happening. Get ready. Time to scream. Time to yell. This is football reborn. This is the X, and then metal sound, like Kang. It's like the Law and Order sound, but like diamond plate steel getting hit with a hammer. <laughs> X, clang sound. L, explosion sound. <laughs> So that part is very early 2000. Yeah, but it's like uh, what Vince McMahon probably said, like, can you give me an urban beat? (laughs) (laughs) Um, There is a website, it's a Google website, which is free, called Remember the XFL. And it's the purpose. It, it was it was before they announced that it was coming back. The purpose the purpose for the site is t- this is from the website. The purpose for uh, for the site is allow fans 
to remember this great league, which folded only after one year due to media negativity, NBC backing out, and amount of money lost. So that's a little spoiler alert for what I'm about to tell you. Yeah, that's uh, that's why you would back out. Yeah. Um, they planned it in 1999, and then they rolled it out in 2000. They had a one-year turnaround from whiteboard idea to let's put it on television, which is fucking insane. Um, you can watch the entire first broadcast. Uh, it is a it's two and a half hours, um, and there's an ad before it, and it says like no fair catch, paid more to win, and controversy. They just said the word controversy. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock does a a testimonial before, and he and he says the Rock is excited. No, no, no. The Rock is psyched. Nope. The Rock is pumped. Nope. The Rock is geeked. No, no, no. The Rock is cranked, but like make that last for five minutes. And then he goes, The Rock is absolutely psyched, pumped, geeked, and cranked. Wow. And then Vince comes out. Here we go. And he's being real, like, real businesslike about it. He's like, You know, we're really excited to be here uh, on behalf of all the players and the staff and the, and the teams. We want to thank you for being here, being a part of our new league that's, you know, for you. Uh, so enjoy the game. And then, and then, and then he says, this is the XFL, but that's not how he says it. I recorded it. I'm just going to play it into the microphone. I can edit this in later if it doesn't sound great. Which sounds just like when he's like calling Steve Austin out for like a Royal Rumble match. Like, right. It gets kicked in the face. Um, <laughs> one of the teams in the first, <laughs> it was the New York, New Jersey hitmen. <laughs> it's, they're officially called the New York slash New Jersey hitmen, but I thought that their mascot was a New Jersey hitman. <laughs> it's the New York, New Jersey hitman. <laughs> Versus the Chicago deep dishes. <laughs> Versus the Las Vegas outlaws. Oh, okay. Same thing. And the Las Vegas slash Reno Outlaws. <laughs> yeah. They play in uh they were playing in Las Vegas. And this was the first game of this of the league. And they're in Las Vegas, so the Vegas team comes out and everybody's cheering, yeah, 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 because they're the face. And then the New York guys come out and they they're booed mercilessly. And I thought people were gonna start throwing things at them. It's the first game. Why there's they, they inherently told the crowd, like, this is the face, this is the heel. and yeah. yeah. They're not from here. We don't like them. Right. Look at their jerseys. They're a different color than <laughs> yeah. the other jerseys. So there's a QB mic, like I mentioned. There's mics for a lot of people. Maybe not everybody had a mic, but there are a lot of mics. Um, about 14 minutes in, I showed you this the other day. Um, the, the QB makes a sound, and then one of the linemen <laughs> jumps across and clotheslines him. And it was like, this is wrestling football. This is amazing. Uh, you get a little bit further in. You mentioned Tagliabue. Steve Austin, halfway through the game, comes out and does another testimonial. But he comes out like, Steve Austin heard that Tagliabue said, you know, he's not worried about the XFL. And then he threatens him with violence. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Did you watch this live? Because I watched this with my dad. I when certainly did. Mark, 
No. Yeah. I remember being real excited I, about I it. I remember and then hearing about it. Being so excited, and then halfway through, it was like, oh, I was no. pretty pretty bad to wrestling at the time, but you were into wrestling. Yeah. Did we talk about this? I uh, huh. assumed that you were aware. of We this. talked about during professional wrestling. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, 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 you know what we're talking about. First, um, first spell. Hmm. But yeah, he's like, I heard uh, Commissioner Tagliabue thinks we're a non-issue. Well, it's going to be an issue when I'm stomping a mud hole in your jack or whatever. I'm stomping a mud hole in your Tagliabue ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Steve Austin, the- I think for all intents and purposes, pretty cool guy. He's like, that's a character the whole time. I think he does hunt. Yeah. But he's not like prone to just like fits of violence against people that don't like a thing. Although he did have a domestic abuse charge. Oh, really? Pretty sure. Oh, I missed that. During his height of his career, he got divorced. That's a bummer. Yeah. Look um, that up, but I think that's right. I will add that while he's talking, a Disturbed song is playing. Of course. <laughs> num-a, 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 num-a. Yeah. <laughs> There's an Instagram video, so there's just a guy going, Yamana, 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 yamana. It's good. Wasn't the field for the XFL like slightly smaller and there were different yeah. setups? And I don't, I don't the know about that. Different. They didn't allow fair catch. They there was some other rule. Keep talking. Up. All right. Um, I have a couple of things. The league overall lost fifty million dollars. I saw I saw a line graph of their viewership, and it started real high and s- drastic drop off, and it did not go back up. Um. Then have a coin toss. They had a race for the ball. That was it. That was it. It was like dodgeball in elementary school. Um, you could customize your jerseys, which we're going to talk about shortly. Um, the players were mic'd up. They had wrestling-style interviews, but it wasn't with wrestlers. It was with football players, so they were bad. It was like th- there was one where like a cheerleader is in the back and like I'm with quarterback whatever whoever and he knows how to score and he goes yeah y- what we're gonna do we're gonna do a line defense blah 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 or whatever. And it was supposed to be like, he doesn't get it. I'm trying to fuck this dude. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, you know, it's like when you got wrestlers doing it, it's all over the top. And you're like, oh, I appreciate the theater of this. But this is just some like football player. Um, The pay scale was a lot different than the NFL. Um, Everybody in the the league made 45,000. The quarterbacks made 50,000 and the kickers made 35,000. So there was a bonus if you won the million dollar game. That was the championship game. It was like the Super Bowl, the XFL. Uh, they would split that million dollars among all the players, and everybody would get about twenty two grand if they were the championship team. Fair enough. Um, I don't mind that, you know, because I, I think the incentive based pay is only going to lead to more intense competition, right? Yeah. Um, there's a quote from a player from this article that I read. Uh, my understanding was, and again, this is coming from our head coach, that the network tried to go to McMahon and say, hey, we want to redo the WWE TV contract, and if not, we won't do the XFL TV contract. This was uh, somebody named Carpenter. Um, so they tried to strong arm him, and I guess that was the wrong person to strong arm, because he said, well, I'll fold the XFL and you'll still have to honor the WWE contract. So that's what happened. That was the end of the XFL. Clearly, he was interested in the XFL, but not at the expense of his wrestling. There was a 30 for 30 about the XFL that shines a little bit more light. Yeah. NBC just wasn't going to keep 
pouring money into it. I mean, their second broadcast, they lost transmission, and the whole first quarter was black. Right. Like, they, their viewership got killed after the second week, and they just never recovered, and they lost yeah. so much money. But as you mentioned, we got the QB mic from it, and most notably the Skycam. Yeah. Um, which now, if you watch any football game, it's it's hugely important for the broadcast. Um, the team names. Had an Eastern Division and a Western Division and then another division. Birmingham Thunderbolts. Chicago Enforcers. New, Jer- New York slash New Jersey Hitmen. The Orlando Rage. Just like, Rage. it's a lot of like toxic masculinity here. Yeah. Las Vegas Outlaws. The Los Angeles Extreme. Which is not a noun. The Memphis Maniacs with an X. Ooh, I'm going to get you. I want them to all be <laughs> adjectives. And the San Francisco Demons. There is also the New Orleans Gator Shrimp, the Dallas Gun Advocates, the New Hampshire <laughs> New Hampshire Hate Crimes, <laughs> the Washington Old Boot Wearing Lingerie, <laughs> and the Upper Peninsula Drawings of Uncircumcised Peepees. <laughs> That was the other league that I mentioned, the other oh, the other division. That's pretty funny. Um, one last alternative league I want to tell, talk to you about so we don't run over too long. You guys ever see the uh, the lingerie bowl? Hat? I, I have seen this. Three years in a row, they did a pay-per-view where you watch these ladies run around and, and sort of play football in lingerie. Yeah. You get it. I mean, they actually do play. That's the sad thing. Like They're, they're mm-hmm. actually playing hard, but they're also forced to do it while being objectified. Correct. Um, somebody said, well, this is going so well, we're going to start a whole fucking league. Ugh. And you have the lingerie football league. Rules are a little bit different here and there. It's seven-on-seven tackle football, sexy uniforms. It's full contact. It's indoor football. To look at the the uniforms, they wear shoulder pads. They wear, like, hockey helmets, kind of. But then their midriffs are completely shown. Their legs are all exposed, and they have, like, underwear up their butts. Um, Yeah, it's it's pretty tough. They got knee pads on or whatever. Um, They look like... They look like a Halloween costume. That's they look exactly like somebody it. who's pretending to. They look football. like a sexy hockey costume for Halloween. That's what it looks like. Yeah. The referees are all nurses. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no kickoffs. You can do an onside kick. Uh, there's no field goals, so I guess they don't have kickers. A team must attempt to get a first down on every fourth down. So you can't. You can't punt. You can't punt. Okay. You know, the, the two-point conversions, uh, you can attempt a one-point conversion from the one-yard line or a two-point conversion from the three-yard line. It's just like, you know, it, it's it's similar, but it, I don't know. So they thought, we shouldn't call it Lingerie Football League. That's too demeaning to women. We're kind of going to call it the Legends Football League, but not change anything else. What so they, that, na- that name doesn't make any sense. They just wanted it to still be LFL, but they changed it to Legends instead of Lingerie. How about ladies? Or just don't do it. Or just don't do it. But I'm just. Or have a woman's league and have them wear and there uniforms. Is, there are semi-pro women's uh, women's football leagues that don't objectify. Yeah, but they don't have any comedic value, so I didn't look them up. 
Um, no. They do. They are the only football league to fully endorse Donald Trump, and their players are required to stand during the national anthem. This speaks to the audience of the Legends Football League. Right. So, yeah, those are three alternative leagues. That one's kind of a bummer. But I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, I'd like to close out my piece. Going back to the XFL, the jerseys. Now, we mentioned that they can custom... They probably will continue to be in the new league. Uh, they can customize their jersey to say whatever they want. The most famous one was Rod Smart. He hate me. He hate me. He went on to play in the NFL. He did. Pretty he good player. Tommy Maddox. So, my question to you two, what would you put on your customized XFL jersey? You have, it seemed like they had a lot of characters to work with. It was like up to like 30 characters. Me, me hate he. <laughs> <laughs> they would just make the letters smaller yeah. and they would like fill it in. It was just really a Word document and they were just printing it out on like, uh, like, I, like iron on patches mine would just be a string of letters so long that you have to squint to read it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would mine would be the bill of rights yeah hmm. i don't know that's a tough one yeah well think about it i'm gonna give you uh, a quick uh lightning round game here i'm gonna give you two options you're gonna tell me which one was an actual jersey name mm. okay chronic y2k1 or Weedman 3000 I think Chronic Y2K1 was like, was it? Imperceivably, yes, that was on someone's jersey. I remember seeing it. Yeah. Chronic Y2K1. He was just so excited about getting past Y2K. He's like, let's celebrate. Chronic Y2K was taken. <laughs> <laughs> Underscore. Yeah. Um, Cole 317, that's like three, like Austin 316, but 317. And Cole like C-O-L-E? C-O-L. Three colon seventeen or I heart cores. I heart cores. Now I'm going with Cole. It's Cole three seventeen. All right. me. You got U boat Jerry or D Day. I want U boat Jerry. I want to be U boat Jerry too. That's what I want on my jersey. Big German guy. <laughs> it's D Day. You want U boat Jerry on your thing? Luftwaffe forever? Like wait, no. <laughs> Um, <laughs> some of these are are as bad as the made up ones. Big cat or little bitch? We <laughs> <laughs> had a clean one of that. I think little bitch was real. Big cat or little bitch? Was the little bitch real? No, it's big cat. Big cat. I did it bitch. with no space. Also, little bitch. Little bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> butt guy or big daddy? Big daddy. Big daddy butt guy. <laughs> That'd be better, right? Yeah. It yeah, it's Big, Big Daddy. Daddy. Erupt. Daddy. Or... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mine's going to be Pudge. <laughs> um, e- Pudge, comma, pull in my... <laughs> oh, like for the phone book. I'm settled. <laughs> Mine'll be a little bitch then. Yeah. Um Erupt, that's E dash rupt, or Van Hagar Man four thousand. <laughs> Half of them sound like a fifty year old guy's email address, like AOL.com. <laughs> I want my no, I want mine to say at AOL.com. <laughs> 
So Erupt or Van Hagar Man 4000? I think it's Erupt. That's correct. Yeah. Big Sob or Compact Ford? <laughs> One of those is real. <laughs> Compact Ford. Big Sob. Yeah. Druck, D-R-U-C-K, or Kiss Me Janet, I Still Love You. <laughs> Be drunk. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, that's everything I had about alternative leagues. Uh, I think you forgot one important alternative: the puppy bowl. Oh, oh and there's a kitty bowl yeah. too. Kitty bowl halftime. Kitty bowl is, um, is pregame. It spinoff now. It's pregame, and it's on the Hallmark Channel. My mom told me this because she watches the Hallmark Channel all day long. And then uh, the puppy bowl is Animal Planet at halftime. She calls my brother and I during the first quarter. She said, did you watch the kitty bowl? There was like these kitties. The one of them didn't really want to play, but the other one just kept running into them. Yeah. Sounds like cats. It sounds like cats, but it does sound cute. Yeah. I like those because the point, the point of them is to get adoptions up. So. Oh, I think they're great. I like that. I think it's great. What I, here's what I don't like. I don't like the the humor that happens around the Super Bowl where it's like go sports team. That is the laziest. Yeah. I can't stand lazy humor. I also will say this. Here's my problem with football. I've been watching football my whole life. It's something I grew up watching with my dad and I think that has a nostalgic value to me, which is why I like to watch it. But I have come to see it as a gladiator sport. These guys are doing irreputable damage to themselves for money for money we didn't talk about concussions but you're taking a lot of kids that haven't had anything in their lives you're giving them an an inordinate amount of money an unimaginable amount of money to put their their livelihood on the line for a very short amount of time like you're gonna ruin yourself for the rest of your life in this short couple of years for money it's a gladiator sport. You're taking people that have nothing, giving them everything, and forcing them to do it by destroying themselves. That's a gladiator sport. I hate to say it, but I think that yeah, that's fair. combined with its inherent violent nature, it means it's going to have to change fundamentally or it'll be dead in 50 years. That's my problem with the end. Not to end on such a, a sour note, but I really have a hard Sorry. time with it because of that. I think uh, John Hodgman described football as a waste of blind hatred and allegiance. Wow. 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 I think I should write some books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a real really way with really words. Should. That'd be a yeah. good jersey. Blind hatred and allegiance. Yeah, I like that one. You wouldn't want to run into that guy in the field. That's what Roger Goodell's jersey would say. I think my my jersey honestly would just say, I hate me. I hate me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I feel very conflicted watching football, but I still I still watch it. I enjoy the sport. But when I see people get hurt, I don't know. It's hard. It's it's hard. Doesn't seem worth it. It doesn't seem worth it. I I just don't think it's sustainable. We know what CTE does to people. Junior Seau's story is a great example. We know what it's doing to people. We know the the end result. 
is very negative. Mike Ditka did an interview recently where he said, if I could go back in time, I would never play football. And then you got a lot of players say, well, I'll never let my kids play football. That should tell you something. That's the other thing. We let kids play this game. We, at the very least, we should not allow anybody to play this game before they're, say, 16 years old. Once you're, if, When your brain is developing, it is way more susceptible to the repercussions of concussions. And it's already pretty susceptible to that. So, All right. Yeah. I think that was an informative discussion. That was pretty fun. We went from super funny and laughing all the way down. It sounds like modern America. Yep. Welcome to an hour of our time for football part two. This week, we're going to be talking about the history of the NFL, COVID guidelines, and CTE in the industry. My name's Joe. I'm Dave. And I'm Mark. You know, if, if this year isn't strange enough, the Browns are nine and three, nine <laughs> and three. It just took a global pandemic. It, to, it's like to stem the tide. Right. So um, that's been interesting. They've been really fun to watch lately. So Mark, have you learned anything new about football since our last episode, which was about a year and a half ago? Um, outside of my research today? No. How's your fantasy league going? The, um, Too many dragons. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> really overpowered with dragons. <laughs> no finesse with the with that. The the New Jersey mages are playing the uh, uh the Washington Paladins. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking like the the Carolina old retainer that fell under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> the the Wichita seven thousand page novels. <laughs> Well, as we mentioned, we we did an episode about football about a year and a half ago. We've we've done episodes about baseball, hockey, basketball. And in our football episode, we talked a lot about the origins of the game, how it developed, how it became a professional sport. We talked a little bit about the AFL-NFL merger in the first Super Bowl and then sort of stopped there in terms of the modern sense. Then we talked about the, the economics and some other leagues. And so we thought... It might be interesting to do sort of a part two of this topic that is more focused on the NFL because there's lots of parts of the history that we didn't talk about. There's certainly things going on now with their COVID protocols and how the season's currently going, and we're in the thick of the season, so uh, a good time to do it. So if you are thinking, hey, didn't you already talk about this? This is part two. So if you haven't heard that, stop now, go back, look up our episodes from March 2019, listen to football. That'll be a good precursor to this. Yeah. We'll wait. <laughs> so I went back and listened to the old episode just to sort of remind myself where we were in the history and what we talked about. And like I said, we talked a lot about the origin of the game, how it developed. So let's let's sort of recap the history of the NFL a little bit. 
maybe we can start there. Just a quick, quick recap. Some boys tossing some pigskin. Well, well, the first thing, and this all made us laugh last time, but August 20th, 1920, there is a meeting at a car dealership in Canton, Ohio, and that's where the NFL is born. And they just sort of ran across town. Yeah. Um, It was originally the American Professional Football Conference. Um, It consisted of a a bunch of teams in Ohio and eventually spread out to other teams in that surrounding area, and I think a couple in New York. Um, And... In 1922, it became headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. So we have a lot of listeners here in Columbus. And I wanted to point out that if you're familiar with Broad Street, I learned that the new Hayden building, which is on East Broad from 1927 to 1939, the 11th floor of that building was the offices of the National Football League. So that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. There's a, you know, we're all, we all live in Columbus. If you're new to the show, that's the connection. So (laughs) of the teams, the charter members of that original formation of the league, there are only two still in existence. You have the um, Chicago Cardinals, who became the St. Louis Cardinals and are now the Arizona Cardinals after briefly being the Phoenix Cardinals. And you have the Decatur Staleys, who are now the Chicago Bears. Over the decades that followed, a lot of other teams you're probably familiar with developed in the National Football League, like the Green Bay Packers, the New York Giants, the Indianapolis Colts, who were the Baltimore Colts uh, at, you know, at the early times, the um, Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, Philadelphia Eagles, who, as we discussed in the other episode, joined forces at one point to be the Steagles. That's terrible. So that. I yeah. hate it. <laughs> there were lots of other leagues that popped up, but they all failed. The NFL was the one that was persistent and successful and kept growing. Um, they integrated in 1946, but I want to point out that from things I read, that meant that you might have a couple African-American players on the team. And I read a thing where they were saying, oh, you'd always have an even number. And I thought, well, that's really weird. And there was an interview and there was an old coach saying, if we had any African-American players, you'd have two or four, but not three. And it was because they didn't want them rooming with white players. So it had to be an even number so that they would room together. So they did a really good job integrating here. I point this out because <laughs> the, A- I, the AFL that we're going to talk about in a minute did a better job, but it was more out of necessity than out of um, altruism. But we'll get there. Um, in the 50s, the NFL really had no interest in expanding. They were happy with where they were. And at the same time, the, um, the, the U.S. Congress was starting to investigate them as a monopoly. Um, and at that time, in the 50s, there was a man, a businessman named Lamar Hunt, and he wanted to buy an expansion franchise in the NFL or start an expansion franchise. And they said, no, we're not interested in expanding. Your best bet is to buy a team. And the only team that's, you know, quote unquote available that you could try to get is the Chicago Cardinals. And he tried to buy them and was turned down. And in that conversation, he learned that there were businessmen in Houston and Denver and several other cities looking to do the same thing. So he decided, well, if there are all these you know, people with money in other cities that want to start franchise teams and the NFL saying, no, why don't we just band together and start our own league? And so in 1959, he and some other people form the American Football League, the AFL. And it was like the fourth AFL that ever existed. But this one stuck. 
Um, and then, as they're forming the league in 59, NFL Commissioner Burt Bell is forced to testify before Congress about this whole monopoly issue. And he decides, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to announce the formation of the AFL so, because it will take heat off of us. If I do that, it will seem like we're not a monopoly and they won't sanction us. But by doing so, he ends up giving a lot of attention to the AFL and really starts them off on, on the right foot. In 1960, the AFL starts to prepare for play with eight teams. The Boston Patriots, the Buffalo Bills, the Dallas Texans, the Denver Broncos, the Houston Oilers, Los Angeles Chargers, New York Titans, and an unnamed team in Minneapolis. They end up doing a draft, all those eight teams draft. But after the draft, the NFL decides to grant an expansion team to Minneapolis. They basically take the owner of that AFL team and say, hey, you can have an NFL team, and that becomes the Minnesota Vikings. So they're, they're already trying to cut down the AFL. But um, other people get involved and decide to start the Oakland Raiders, and the Raiders take up the draft picks of the unnamed Minneapolis team. So the Oakland Raiders become the eighth team. Does that make sense? So it might have been a little bit confusing. The NFL then offers the Dallas Texans and the Houston Oilers uh, a space in the NFL. You can come over to our space, but you have to dissolve the AFL. And those owners say no, Lamar Hunt being one of them. They refuse to do it. So the NFL forms its own team in Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys, to compete with the Dallas Texans. They figure if we can compete with them within the city, and for broadcasting rights, we can greatly hinder that team. Um, they, so they do this along with the whole mini Minnesota, Minneapolis thing. Um, but the AFL is able to secure a television deal with ABC, which is a big deal. By the time we're in the 60s, football on television is what's causing professional football to grow. And by signing a deal that makes you sort of exclusive with one of the major networks is big for the AFL. And immediately, they start to do some interesting things with their broadcasts. One, they introduce interviews, interviewing coaches on the sideline, interviewing players after games. That's an AFL um, invention, shall we say. We see that commonly now, but that wasn't common for NFL broadcasts at the time. They have players' names on the backs of their jerseys, which is not an NFL thing. And the reason they did both of those is they, they realized that in order to captivate a new audience, they needed to make the players a story. They needed to make people invested in them as people. So those were two ways of doing that. They also developed new forms of microphones, like parabolic mics, that would allow for more on-field sound. They had kind of showy halftime events. Um, They also had a 14-game season, uh, which the NFL only had 12. And after the first 14-game season of the AFL was relatively successful, the NFL adopted it the next year. They had a two-point conversion, which, although caught on in college, the NFL didn't adopt that until 1994. And the AFL offered way more opportunity for African-American players. But the reason was, again, not, not for social justice reasons. It was because they needed to get the best players they could to make the league viable. And the NFL was not so into to seeking these players. So the AFL started to recruit players from traditionally black colleges. Um, so they, they had, I guess you could say they had no choice from a business perspective, but to do that. But the positive thing is that it did offer a lot of players that maybe wouldn't have had professional opportunities, significant professional opportunities. 
It was pretty stable for the first few years. A couple things altered. The Chargers moved to San Diego because they couldn't compete in L.A. with the Rams being there. Um, the Texans, although they won the AFL championship, they couldn't compete with the, the Cowboys so well in Dallas, and they wanted their own market, so they moved and became the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Titans became the New York Jets because they were purchased by a different owner. And that owner said, hey, I don't like this name. We're close to LaGuardia Airport because we play at Shea Stadium. We're the Jets. In 1963, the San Diego Chargers won 51 to 10 in a victory over the Boston Patriots in the 1963 AFL Championship. And they were so confident after their win that they approached the NFL commissioner, Pete Rozelle, and proposed a final championship game between the winners in the two leagues. And Rozelle declined the offer, but that will change. Um, in 1963, the Pro Football Hall of Fame opens, sort of on behalf of the NFL. They don't recognize AFL players until 1978. So there's a little bit of that you know, while to really embrace this. In 1964, the AFL signs another television contract, this time with NBC, which began in the 1965 season. And that contract was so lucrative that it gave the league a lot more money to compete for NFL players. So I started to wonder, like, how is the AFL having a draft and the NFL is having a draft? Well, they're just looking at the whole list of college players independently picking their players and then offering them contracts contracts, and hoping that they'll take their contract. But until that point, the AFL couldn't couldn't... Um, stand up to the NFL in terms of the money. But 1965, things changed. They drafted um, Gail Sayers, probably recognize that name. Um, he was drafted by the Chiefs and by the Chicago Bears of the NFL. And he ultimately signed with the Bears, but the AFL put up a big fight there. But the bigger signing is Joe Namath. So Joe Namath signed with the New York Jets, although he was also drafted by the, at this time, St. Louis Cardinals. And he was given a $427,000 contract with the Jets. And at that time, that was the largest contract offered to a player coming out of college. Um, So that kind of shows you the amount of money that the AFL is starting to be able to throw around. In 1965 as well, the uh, AFL was, they granted another expansion team, which is the Atlanta Falcons. The NFL countered, well, sorry, it was it was an Atlanta team. The NFL countered and offered that owner a spot in the NFL, which he took, and they became the Atlanta Falcons. So the AFL decided, okay, well, we're going to find another team, and that's where the Miami Dolphins come from in 1966. So basically, you're starting to see the AFL beginning to grow, and every time they start to grow, the NFL comes in and tries to like steal that growth from them. You can see where this is going. At this time, also, there you, have you ever heard the name Al Davis? He was a, the owner of the, the Raiders for a very long time. Now his son is the owner. Uh, I've heard the name. He started to basically poach players. He would go to NFL players and say, I can give you more money. And although that practice put a lot of strain on the league because they were spending a lot of money doing it, it scared the NFL. And that caused the NFL to start having secret conversations about merging, which leads us to June 8th, 1966, where an official merger is announced. And through this merger, there would be a common draft. So they draft collectively and you'd have a title game between the winners from each league, which would become known eventually as the Super Bowl. So they weren't 
playing each other in the regular season yet. They were they were merged, but the separate leagues were playing their own thing, and then they would have a championship at the end. In the first two championships, the NFL team badly beat the AFL team. It was the Packers both times won Super Bowl one, Super Bowl two. And that was a bit of a problem because it started to delegitimize the AFL. They were standing up to the NFL, but then when they got to those championship games, they they didn't hold their own. However, the third Super Bowl, the Jets were playing the Colts, and the Colts were supposed to be this unstoppable team. But Joe Namath and the Jets beat them very badly, and this solidified the AFL as a legitimate contender, and an AFL team, the Chiefs, won the next one as well. So in 1970, the leagues fully merged as the NFL. Pete Rozelle, who was the commissioner of the small NFL, became the overall commissioner of the new league. Um, All 10 of the AFL teams were included. So if you remember from our basketball episode, um, when there was that merger with the NBA and the ABA, a lot of those ABA teams were dissolved. In this case, all the teams are absorbed. Um, So that's 10 AFL teams and 16 NFL teams. And that's why you today have the AFC and the NFC. The American Football Conference is the AFL teams. The National Football Conference is the NFL teams. Sands three, because you had 10 teams from the AFL, 16 teams from the NFL. So they had to give three teams over to the other side so that you'd have 13 and 13. And those three teams were the Browns, the Steelers, and the Colts. And those teams were given $3 million for doing so. If they are all under the umbrella of the NFL, why are they still differentiated like that? Now it's just conferences. So it's what like, does that mean? well, so with any major sport, you have basically a bracketed system. So like with baseball, you've got the American League and you have the National League. And there's interleague play, but the World Series is the winner of the American League and the winner of the National League. In the NBA, you've got the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. So in the NFL, you've got the AFC, the NFC. They mix, they play each other during the regular season, but the Super Bowl is the winner of the AFC and the winner of the NFC. So it's just a way to make to set up a tournament system when you get to a playoff. All things being equal, that should render the best team then. I mean, it, it should. Um, sometimes things become weighted. Like in the NBA, the... You know, now that LeBron plays for Los Angeles, the Western Conference is significantly stronger than the Eastern Conference. So they've actually talked recently about making the NBA playoffs like um, a ranking system. So instead of it being East and West bracket, they just rank the teams that made the playoffs based on their record and then make a bracket that way because it's become so uneven. In football, it's been less so because football is less prone to super teams. The NBA, when you only have like a smaller number of players on the team, it's easier to have a super team. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, a team from the West is going to win the NBA championship this year, unless maybe Milwaukee, you know, something like that. Um, but by and large, yeah, Joe, it's just it's a way to sort of set it up. It also is a way to set up travel, right? Like if you set up divisions geographically and you have to play the like in the NFL, you play the teams in your division twice. So you're having to travel. So the Browns are having to fly to Los Angeles less often. They're, you know they're going to have to play in Pittsburgh once a year and in Cincinnati once a year and Baltimore once a year. So part of it is for geographic reasons. Because okay. it is geographic. I mean, you have 
it within like the if if you don't know much about football, let me explain this a little bit in a more micro way. The AFC consists of sixteen teams subdivided into four groups. Same with the NFC. So you've got the AFC North, AFC East, AFC West, AFC South. So it's set up so that travel is easier in that way as well. So you have these microcosms. So to not take too much time, the rest of my history is just going to be a rundown of where teams popped up or moved. But this should at least catch you up. I have a quick question for you. Yes, please. Who do you think felt worse? Roger Goodell getting booed at the NFL draft? Or Donald Trump watching people celebrate in the streets when he lost the election? Oh, Trump felt worse. Roger Goodell has stopped caring. Okay. He's just rolling around his money and does not give a shit. He When he comes out and they boo him, now he just laughs. Okay. He's, I, I, if I were him, I'd feel terrible, but like he doesn't, just does not care. So. Okay, fair enough. Thank you for answering. So in 1970, there's the first Monday night football game, which features the Browns and the Jets. Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> yes. Also, I believe that John Lennon's death was announced by Bob uh, or by Howard Cosell live during a Monday night football game. It was like breaking news and he interrupted the game to, to announce it. Interesting. So interesting piece of history. I wonder how much crossover there was at the time between fandoms. <laughs> Uh, I think, I mean, I think John Lennon getting killed was a little bit like Kennedy getting killed. Like everybody knew who he was and everybody knows where they were when they heard that news. So in 1976, the NFL expands to two more teams. Oh, I skipped one and I, I apologize, Joe. During this whole expansion merger situation in 19, I believe 66, the New Orleans Saints oh. become an NFL team. I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to leave your team out there, Joe. Um, 1976, you have the Seattle Seahawks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which I read was named in honor of the pirates that raided the shores of Florida. So great. <laughs> I mean, we live in a city named after Columbus, so. I guess. What can um, you do? <laughs> In 1982, the Raiders moved to Los Angeles. And in 1984, the Colts moved to Indianapolis from Baltimore. In 1988, the Cardinals left St. Louis and moved to Arizona to become the a, the Phoenix Cardinals and then shortly thereafter became the Arizona Cardinals, as they are now. 1995, the Rams moved from Los Angeles to St. Louis after the Cardinals left. The Raiders went back to Oakland from Los Angeles, and the Carolina Panthers and the Jacksonville Jaguars became expansion teams. 1996 is a dark year for me, because the Browns dissolved and moved to Baltimore to become the Ravens. However, Cleveland retained the team history, the colors, so in 1999, the Browns reform as an expansion team in Cleveland. Um, that caused me to skip 1997 the houston oilers moved to tennessee and they keep the oiler name but then they realize that that's stupid and two years later become the tennessee titans in 2002 the houston texans became an expansion team so returning a team to houston and bringing back the texan name as you remember that was the original name the dallas texans of the kansas city chiefs in 2007, I know Mark will speak to this, but they NFL starts playing games in London, and now, in a regular year, they play three games in London and one in Mexico. 
2016, the Rams move back to Los Angeles. 2017, the Chargers follow by leaving San Diego. 2019, the NFL celebrates its 100th season. And in 2020, the Raiders leave Oakland again, this time to become the Las Vegas Raiders. And that brings you to the current 32 teams. Um, There have been six Super Bowl wins by the New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have the most wins. If you look at most pro football championships overall, it is the Green Bay Packers. So a little bit of extra information for you. Who was their very famous coach? Um, Lombardi? Yeah, Vince Lombardi, right? That's the Lombardi tr- the Lombardi trophy is what you get for winning the uh the Super Bowl. Although I believe I mentioned Lamar Hunt who started the AFL. I believe if you win the AFC championship, it's the Lamar Hunt trophy. Okay. I don't know did what Vince the Lom- NFC is. Did Vince Lombardi ever punch anybody? You're thinking of Woody Hayes. I'm thinking of Bobby Knight and Woody Hayes and all the it just seems like a lot of famous coaches that people are like, that was the guy. They usually like punch somebody or threw something at somebody. It's not a shocker at all. No. <laughs> it's no, truly. Woody Hayes was the one that like uppercutted somebody through their, their helmet. Is that what he pun- he punched an opposing player after an interception? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. That's called sportsmanship. That's what they- it was. I guess in, in today's world, we would call that a mood. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to a promo for The Sounds of Bustown. I'm your host slash producer, William Mount, and I'm here to talk to you about my podcast, The Sounds of Bustown. Do you like music? If yes, do you like Columbus, Ohio? If also yes... Do you like music made in Columbus, Ohio? If you've answered yes to any of these, I'm sure you'll enjoy my podcast, The Sounds of Bustown, where I interview musicians about their music and whatever else they got going on. Conversations kind of go wild sometimes and you just can't really tell what's going to happen. So you can find that podcast and other podcasts from the Loudcat Podcast Network on Apple, Spotify, or whatever you listen to them through. Thanks. Well, are you ready for some international football? I am. <laughs> Let's do it. Sung by Faith Hill this time. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know a whole lot about this. This is kind of an interesting setup here. Um as you may assume, American football has not been widely popular in Europe like other sports such as soccer and basketball. I know a lot of um Professional basketball players come from Europe sometimes. Um, Yes. But in 1989, the World League of American Football was formed as an offshoot of the NFL. Um, And it was founded with 10 teams. Seven of them were based in North America and three in Europe. It was intended to be a spring league to extend football throughout the year. That's kind of an interesting huh. caveat to it, I guess. They've been trying yeah. to do that multiple... They're currently still trying to do that. There's organizations trying to do that. Well, this argument for football in Europe has come back again recently. This original league only lasted for two seasons. They took a two-year break. And then again, in 1995, the league reformed with six teams all based in Europe. Um, and then in 1998, it was renamed the NFL Europe League to streamline the name. 
Um, I did, did not know this even existed. Neither did I. The league ended, though, in 2007 because of a large economic loss and little interest. Um, people in the United States didn't care about this. People in Europe kind of didn't care about it. Um, and one of the articles that I read said that there was a $30 million loss per season for running this league and doing whatever they were doing. Ooh. That's not good. By 2007, five of the six teams were based in Germany and one in England called the London Monarchs. What was the German team called? Um, can we guess? I can look them up and we can we can play a, play a fun game with this. There's Berlin, Frankfurt, and Hamburg. So, if Mark, if you want to work with that. There are, there are several others that weren't active through the whole... The whole shtick, I'm going to call it. The Dusseldorf donkey dicks? <laughs> <laughs> the Hamburg Hamburglers? Hamburglers? The Hamburg Hamburglers? The Rhine Fire? R-H-E-I-N. Uh, okay. The Hamburg Sea Devils? That was the one I saw, and I was like, you're never going to guess that. The Frankfurt Galaxy? It's the Frankfurt Galaxy. The Berlin the one kind of makes me think about war, though. Ber- it's the, the Ryan- Berlin Thunder? The Thunder. Berlin Thunder. Anyway, there's a host of European teams. Um, didn't do well. So this was the, the best analogy is sort of like this was equivalent to the minor leagues. And it was kind of a hard sell for hardcore fans familiar with American players. Like you said, Dave, the sort of celebrity and notoriety of the individual players is part of why football is appealing to a lot of people with these European players. They didn't really have that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, are these, most of these players coming out of Europe or are they American players, like college players that didn't get drafted? Cause like, that's part of it. I think that the reason that like the NFL draft is such a big thing is that college football is extremely popular. So people follow these players from when they're pretty young as their careers are starting to build. So by the time they get to the NFL, they know who they are. That may be the case. I didn't get that deep into it. I assume that there are some some European players as well. But in recent years, football's popularity in Europe is sort of on the rise again. Um, and I read an article that was, if it was written by a middle schooler, about why football is becoming popular again in Europe. Um, so part of it has to do with the infrastructure of the sports organizations. They have um, better promoted and legitimized football in other countries. Um, migration is another factor. So there are more Americans, according to this article, 1.5 million Americans living in European cities for work or for whatever reason. Um in the past few years, the NFL has held games abroad, sort of widening their net and exposure. Um, there were three scheduled games in London in 2016, and two of them were played in the famous Wembley Arena in London. So did these games actually happen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know the Browns played there uh, probably back in like 2017. Somebody brought me back a flag. Was it kind of a big a big deal on TV? Like, this is a thing that you can kind of promote in a different way? 
for Americans, it didn't matter. It was like, hey, cool, it's Sunday, there's going to be football, and there's a game at 10 a.m. Oh. It didn't really, like, I, I think for Americans, it was just another game. It it seemed like people in Europe were into it. I mean, it's always full, but I guess if there's only going to be a few games in the year, it's not that hard to fill a stadium. So I'm not really sure. Well, the other argument is is that Europeans are gravitating towards American entertainment already in terms of film franchises and other stuff. So extending that to a firmly American sport is not that much of a stretch. Sure. Some of the reasons for expanding into Europe from the NFL's perspective um, are the U.S. markets are saturated uh, and a new team or teams in Europe is 100% an NFL money-making opportunity including all of the broadcast rights and everything that comes with it. So it's kind of a no-brainer. travel, but it wouldn't travel be a big problem? It depends on how it's organized. So the Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, is a big prom- big proponent of starting a new team in London. Um, but in the same article, it pointed out that a majority of NFL teams aren't up for this idea. And they believe that the time spent traveling, um, rule and league differences between the different continents would be disruptive for American players to play in Europe against European teams. So a lot of people don't want to don't want to travel or feel like it's going to detract from the normal football season. But if this was a, a European league that played against European teams, it, it might be kind of a different situation. And that's not to say the the investment potential for European host countries would be huge as well. So where does that stand now? Do they do they you know, is does the NFL have a thought? Like have they ever said, you know, we want to have a team in London by twenty thirty or not that I saw. I looked at a bunch of different articles about it and it kind of went through the history of the the former European League and that this idea had come up again. There are proponents for it. The NFL is already a, a multi-billion dollar thing, so why not throw some more money on there? It, it yeah, seems appealing if, if the taste of of Europeans are sort of changing. Um, in the in the 90s, it seemed like nobody was interested, but if football is kind of more popular now or the uh, the viewpoint on it is changing, then this might be a more uh, viable endeavor. Yeah, fair enough. It's hard to argue with that, I guess. Well, Mark, I got a question for you. You seem like a man who likes Europe. Um, yeah, I've been known to dabble. If there was, let's say, I don't know, like a Scottish NFL team, Edinburgh NFL team, that's their name. Um, I couldn't think of anything better. Would that be, <laughs> would you be more interested, less interested, or still not give a shit at all? Um... I think for me, it's all about presentation. If they could present this in a more um, interesting way or something, maybe. Hmm. So, no huddles. I want to like. I want to understand this because I feel like football is pretty interesting as a sport goes. It's not, you know, it's not baseball. What? What what would make it more interesting for you? I, I'm curious. Well, I kind of meant that in terms. What if terms. they had cameras? What if they had microphones in the quarterback helmets? 
so I could hear the mutter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of meant that more in terms of pageantry. I kind of would assume so that like a, a European, wrestling? well, yeah, a European country might have a little more of a uh, gravitas to its, I don't know. I probably wouldn't. Care I'm just saying, way. if you like the microphones and the helmets, and you like pageantry, like professional wrestling, I've got a league for you. Yeah, it definitely now, sounds like. Yeah, I got good news and bad news. The good news is, you know, it's e- extreme football. The Third bad time's news a charm. is, it's gone bankrupt twice, <laughs> both times within one year of its inception. Oh. Uh- I forgot to mention, in terms of the the European League, the uniforms were slightly different. They had smaller numbers kind of on the shoulder, like a, a soccer jersey. And the rules were a little bit different to incorporate more kicking to appeal to a soccer audience. And um, some of the rules about... Uh, they like, made the ball round. Like overtime You couldn't touch it with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's just soccer. <laughs> more kick yeah i can tell you as a football fan the one thing i don't want is more kicking of the ball that is the most boring part why because kicking is basically you kicked a field goal because you couldn't do any better and you punted because you couldn't do any better you get a kickoff because you scored but it's still not interesting, especially now because they moved it up. So it's mostly a touchback because everybody was getting slaughtered on kickoffs. So, um, I don't know. Kicking in football is largely the thing you do when you failed. I see. Okay. But it does add strategy to the game. That's true. It, it, that is true. I mean, it's a field position thing and, you know, three points is better than no points. But it's not what you're, you know... It's not what you're watching for. A field goal is like the routine ground ball of the sport, but you want to see the home run. Knock it out of the park, Bambino. I tried to make you understand with another sports reference, and I feel like that was a mistake. (laughs) Speaking of mandatory grounding, let's talk about COVID-19 in the NFL. They have to use uh, recorded crowd noise in the stadiums. Because um, initially, let me pull up my research here. Wait, do they actually play it in the stadium or just during the broadcasts? Like, do the players hear this? From what I read, I got the impression that they were playing it in the stadium. That's interesting. Actually, I think I think I have heard that. That feels weird to me. Does it feel weirder than abject silence? Well... For as a viewer, like having it on for the viewer is kind of. I can say this: when the first sport to really come back through all this was soccer, and they started showing MLS games, and you could watch it either way. They would have two broadcasts: one with fake crowd noise and one without it. And I was like, I'm done with this fake crowd noise. I, it's I'm fine watching it in silence. And Leanna felt the same way because we were watching the crew, and it was like I can't deal with knowing that this is fake crowd noise. It was like depressing. So there is an article, NFL warns teams of breaking rules on uh, decibel-like level rules on fake crowd noise could re- result in... I'm only seeing half the words. Basically, um, I think but they're... They're pumping noise into the stadium. Yeah, and there are teams that if you're playing in their stadium, they might try to make it really loud. 
above 75 decibels to be distracting well, yeah. To, yeah to give them the same because right now there's really no advantage to playing at home well there was one person that said they did not see any um strategic uh, like strategic or uh, functional advantage or disadvantage to having the sound in the stadium like it didn't give anybody an edge according to them um but i don't know but yeah they play it in the stadium um so with COVID 19 there's a bit of a timeline so it starts for for me i got this from sportingnews.com as of september 1st there were four confirmed players and six like staff people that had COVID. So it was real low. It uh, wasn't a big deal at first for the NFL. They, they made a list for the, all the people. So they would be players who tested positive or those who were in close contact with somebody who had tested positive. So then there was an agreement between the NFL and the NFLPA. Which is, That's the NFL Players Association. It's uh, the Players Union. Okay. So they're not allowed to publicly announce a player's medical status, just that he was placed on the list. So you don't know if they, it was a proximity thing or if it was an actual infection. Right. Um, there are return protocols for people who are on this list. And this is back in September. Things are a little bit different. At first, it was um, to come back, you'd have to have a second negative test within 24 hours of an initial negative test. You'd have increased symptom monitoring, eight days of daily virus testing, and regular testing schedule thereafter. And then it's a little bit different for practice squad people. If the, uh, I'll just read it. If a player, if a practice squad player is elevated to the active roster because his team was given roster exemptions due to confirmed or suspected cases of a contagious disease among its players, then the player won't be required to sign an active player contract. He will automatically re- revert to the practice squad after the game without going through waivers. So it's really just bumping people up and bumping them back down for this. It's like... Uh, Keanu in the replacements, but on a shorter term. The second movie where he played a quarterback. What was the first one? Point Break. Oh, he played yeah. Johnny okay. Utah, former That's uh, Ohio right. State Buckeyes quarterback. In August, they got 77 false positives throughout the entire league. Yeah. So that kind of shook things up a little so, bit. Yeah, that's a lot. Um. And also, false positives is not the kind of thing you want for, like, media when people are already like, oh, this COVID thing is a uh, fucking hoax. These tests are not real. Like, eh, it's not good. Right. And then it says, all NFL players who test positive for COVID-19 go through the same protocols. First, they are immediately isolated. They are forbidden to access team facilities and are not allowed to have any direct contact with fellow players or team personnel. And they are immediately replaced on the reserve slash COVID list. Now, if they get symptoms for the first time while they're inside the team facility, they have different protocols. So they immediately isolate in a separate room. They continue to wear a mask. Masks are required of everybody at all times. And then they're transported and quarantined at home as soon as as they can be. To return to the team, it, it depends on different things. Following a positive test, if the player is asymptomatic, he can come back after 10 days have passed since the initial test, which this... This part struck me as odd. So you get a positive test and you're not symptomatic. Ten days later, you can come back. But don't you have to get a negative test? It doesn't say that. It just says ten days have passed since the initial positive test. I guess you probably. 
Five days have passed since the initial positive test, and the player receives two consecutive negative PCR tests at least 24 hours apart within that five-day period. But that's only for five days. I think this is an either-or. It just seemed weird. Um, Similar, if you demonstrate symptoms, except at least 72 hours have passed since you last experienced symptoms, you can return. This all seems a little loose, and we're going to see shortly it's probably a probably not a great approach um and you have to be cleared by the team's head physician but i mean that that person might have quite a bias yeah exactly i don't think yeah it's kind of like if you watched the the last dance you know that guy was pretty devoted to michael jordan so he might have might have been able to talk him into stuff i i would think so yeah um Additionally, all players who have tested positive and recovered will undergo additional cardiac screening. Right. Which is interesting. Well, because there's been so much issue with people having heart-related issues after recovering from COVID. So I guess they're hyper-concerned with football. Or any, they should be with any athlete, really. But yeah, that makes sense. Sure, yeah. And they're also, obviously, they're doing contact tracing. So then October 8th, uh, some updated information since September. They decided not to do the bubble like the NBA did. Although I think that there there's some discussion about doing a. I don't think it'll happen, but there's been some discussion about doing it for the playoffs. The, yes, but as but, in, in in October eighth, when it was still early in the season, they said no, we're not going to do a bubble. Right. Um, <clears throat> and we talked a little bit about. It. I think we just mentioned it in passing in another episode. But like the NBA did it, and they did it really well. But there's a lot fewer people in the NBA than there are in the NFL. Yeah, you got a 53-man roster in the NFL, so with 16 you know, teams and plus the, plus expansions, so it's a, well 30, 32 teams. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh, 16 per conference. Okay. Right, and you have so much more personnel too. You have so many many more coaches, more trainers. So it's just it's it's a lot more. Yes, absolutely. And they had relatively low infections in October, so it wasn't too bad. Um, I mentioned the simulated fan noise. There were six teams initially that were going to have people come in and, and be in the stands, the names of which I don't have, but, um, you know, the vast minority of teams were going to do that. And I think they decided against it. So the simulated fan noise. Um, well, actually, the, the Browns have had fans in their stands every game. Oh, they didn't decide against it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I you're here to help the, me. Thank you. Yeah. Over half the teams, to my understanding, have allowed fans. Um it started small. It was like 8,000. Then it was like 12,000 and they have people spread out. Um, things like that. Some teams, like I think the Raiders in Las Vegas in their new stadium, I don't know if it's because it's a new stadium or what, but they decided like no fans. So there were definitely some teams that have gone no fans at all. But, um, I mean, while we're talking, I'll look, I believe that the Patriots chargers games about to start. I bet there will be fans in the stands. Can I just say that it is amazing this speaks to Mark's point about how much money the NFL makes that you can have 8,000 people in a space. And that is a drastically reduced number. Yeah. I mean, most of these stadiums probably hold, I don't know, 60, 70,000. That's so incredible. when you say, Oh, we're going to have 10,000 fans. It seems like that's a lot of people in one space, but you might actually be able to distance people outside pretty well. I think part of it with the Raiders is their new stadium is a dome. Mm hmm. So I think that a lot of teams that play indoors aren't doing it, but teams that play outdoors 
are allowing fans. And there was some issue because the Browns play on Monday night coming up here. And the question was, well, can they still do that because of the Ohio curfew? And the governor said, it doesn't apply to the Browns. Like, okay. Does it apply to all the people in the stands? No. (laughs) All right. Okay. Jesus Christ. You could have just made the game earlier. I mean, you could. There's so many ways around it. But. You remember back in March when we were all like, "Man, I did, I, I don't care for Dewine, but he sure is handling this well with Amy Acton." Yeah, what the hell happened? Times have changed. I'm not saying it's a Republican thing, but I am saying that it's a Dewine <laughs> issue. Um, well, he's I'm, got a lot, of, it's he's a, got it's a lot a, of pushback, and I heard that there was a, a law going through that they were going to try to impeach him for overstepping his bounds or whatever, but. It seemed kind of basic. Yeah, he, he was trying to save lives, so let's get rid of him. But the the issue is when you do not believe science or fact or charts or what anybody tells you that you don't like, information doesn't matter. So when Ohio was doing better than other states because of the drastic actions that were taken, oh, that's fake news. It's not real. I don't like it. Anybody can believe anything they want all the time now. It is incredibly frustrating. <laughs> I saw something on Facebook the other day. I was talking to Ryan on the phone yesterday, and I said, I saw something that said, uh, you know, before Facebook, I just assumed everyone I knew believed in science. And Ryan went, I think before Facebook, a lot more people did believe in science. <laughs> I went, wow, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, man. <laughs> I saw some yeah. dumb meme where it was like parents, like, oh, your social media is going to rot your brain, but then it like did the opposite. Right. And we know how Photoshop works and how easy it can be to make an image and put some text on it and then attribute a quote. And that's what most people are doing. Um, If you haven't watched The Boys, I recommend it. They touch on this a little bit in like um, misinformation spreading through memes. Solid show. Very good. Um, Anyway, uh, we can beleaguer the listeners with COVID stuff (laughs) in a moment. But uh, Player Finds. I'm just wearing a mask so I don't get fined. Masks? We're talking about masks? <laughs> exactly. Mark, you get it. I get it. You get it. Classic. Anything is maskable. Weak. Not good. Shouldn't have done it. So player <laughs> finds. Uh, I'm going to read this again. This was a really solid write-up. You can find all this information on the Sporting News. Um, according to the uh, ESPN, so one online journalism quoting another online journalism. This is what 2020 is now. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, well, I sure hate print journalism with all of its effort. <laughs> um, NFL players in early July were told they could be fined for conduct detrimental to the team, quote, if they are found to have engaged in reckless behavior away from the team facility. So think of who's that... Uh, country guy that got kicked off of saturday night live and got replaced with jack white it doesn't matter what his name is dion wait wait it doesn't matter what his name is (laughs) if you smell i can't smell i have a mask (laughs) on um so here are the the forbidden risk activities they're all very obvious but they have to i mean legality is that you have to lay everything out right uh, attending an indoor nightclub with a crowd of more than 10 people without wearing a mask. That's amazingly specific. Who's the bouncer that's like, I'm sorry, we're out capacity. We have nine people. <laughs> <laughs> attending an indoor bar with more than 10 people, other than a pickup, 
uh, order without wearing a mask. So if you wear a mask and you go to an indoor nightclub, you're okay. I guess. Which is, and also a nightclub and a bar are the same thing, right? I don't know. Rap videos would have you believe that they are very different. I mean, there's more dancing in one, but that also depends on how drunk you get. It's still like a building with a liquor license is what you're getting at. Yeah. I don't think a nightclub is going to have to go orders of food. Unless you really want like a buffalo wings. I mean, some some strip clubs do. That's so what like, I was saying. If you want like yeah. a shitty steak in a styrofoam box <laughs> with glitter that on episode it. Of New, that episode of New Girl where Winston buys all the bunny money. <laughs> is that is that lobster gray? It's the most expensive thing on the menu. <laughs> um, indoor concert. You, you can't attend an indoor concert or an entertainment event at all. Attend housing gatherings of more than 15 people without wearing a mask. Um, attending a professional sporting event other than their own games, smart ass. That's in parentheses. That not the smart ass part. Without wearing a mask right. and sitting in a protected area such as a suite or an owner's box. Um, attending any gathering or event that violates local and state restrictions, which should be, you know, everything we've already read. But does it not clearly say stuff like don't go eat inside of a restaurant or like I feel like there's certain things on there that should be obvious, but they're not clearly said. So then isn't that a gray area? It's about it's about how many people it, it's if it's more than 10 people, you can eat at a bar if there's only nine other people there, according to this. But I don't know. Um, so if you refuse to take a covid test, it's a maximum fine of five thousand dollars which I don't feel like it's high enough for NFL players. Depends who you are, but yeah. Certainly, yes. But I would think that if I was a rookie in the NFL, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep this. Except in the last episode, we did talk about some people that are re- recruited too young and they, they don't have life skills. And Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Refusing to wear a mask comes with a progressive scale that includes a max fine of $14,650 why is it so specific for repeated offenses? I wonder if it's a certain percentage of the league minimum. That makes sense. They also have contract t- tracing devices, so it's not like a survey thing. Yeah, I heard about this. What What does that mean? I can't tell you, but it's probably just like a Fitbit kind of thing. That um, It's like a GPS tracker? Yeah, or, or it probably has like a, a unique ID. So when it gets in proximity to another unique ID, then there's like a chart of when they were close together. I can't speak to that That's part. That's smart. Um, yeah. I mean, it's the same reason that like when you drive a truck, they put a digital thing on there to, to know where you went and how long you were there. I know the Browns have been like they have disciplined their own players. Like, they haven't waited for the league. Like there was one player that. I think it was back in maybe September, went to like a house party and they found out the next day and they were like, you're not welcome in the facility for the next 10 days. Like, we don't want you here. Oh, uh. they've been, cause I mean, they're terrified of a, of a, an outbreak. Yeah. So, right. Like they, yeah. interesting. You bring up outbreaks. So, um, real quick, the, the last thing from this October report, uh, nobody, nobody had been punished for violations of COVID protocols in the league in October except for one person, uh, Seahawks rookie cornerback uh, Kama Siverand. Uh, that sounds right. I, I don't know how to I don't know how he would pronounce it, um, but it's K E M A H Siverand. 
whatever the case, um, he was cut because he was caught trying to sneak a woman into his room at a, at a, at the team hotel. And here, I remember, do you know how he tried to get her in? Um, didn't he dress her in like a uniform or something? He put her in a Seahawks hoodie so that she would look like a player. Well, how big was this girl? I mean, what, he's a cornerback, right? So, so he's not very big. He's, he's big. He might be all right. Yeah. So like, you know, there's some, like, you can be a a pretty solid, uh, receiver and be a pretty slender person. Maybe she was tall. And he put her in a big, like, loose hoodie, and clearly it didn't work. <laughs> no, it didn't work. Um, she'd also have to be wearing pants and, like, sneakers and, you know, like... And, and not be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I feel like, like... That's one thing, like, the could... NFL is only men. Um, right. I, I don't know. Well, I don't know I, what you know what? The Browns have... Their chief of staff is female. And there was, I think their tight end coach wasn't with the team last week because his wife had just had a baby and she took his place. So she was the first female coach in the league. That's awesome. I should qualify so another, the, the players, not the staff. The, the players are. Yeah, no, I just want, I just want to celebrate that because I, I am excited about the Browns have been really big about like they last couple of years, they've openly supported bills for social justice and we've done a lot of community things to try to get different legislation passed. And they've been very progressive. Not all teams can say that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I that's think a I good saw something on the news recently. Uh, something on the news recently that there was a, a female player on a college. Yeah, Vanderbilt uh, kicker. So that's those are I mean, that's huge. I wonder how long before probably a long time before the league catches up with like gender nonconformity and like non-binary individuals and stuff like that. Like if you can play football, you can play football. When, when, when is that, when does it become that? Once, once players are comfortable being openly gay, because there have been a lot of gay players in the NFL just statistics will tell you that. But can you think of very many openly gay players? So I think until you can get through that threshold, they're not going to get to the next one. I see. So you're okay. So you're think. I get it. I, like I think it's stages. still a situation. I think it's still a situation. The attitude among the players that being openly gay would not be accepted. I see. I can think of one player that was openly gay and he was essentially ostracized. On the Rams. Yeah, that's about maybe seven, eight years yeah, ago. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Um. I, that's an interesting perspective. I, I hear what you're saying. So, like, it's to have a female coach, that's huge. But I think that's different than having a female player. Oh, no And question. I don't think they're quite ready for an openly gay player. So I think we're, we're very many steps behind. But I agree with you. If you can play, you can play. Yeah. The argument has always been, like, football as a contact sport and just biologically some men's frames are bigger than some women's frames. But to your point, if you're big enough and fast enough and strong enough and you can play, your gender should be irrelevant. That is just not a threshold that that has been crossed. I mean, it's the same with other things. I mean, you have the WNBA, but you don't have like a a mixed league. Yeah. So it's not, I'm not just calling the NFL out here. Um, 
But I mean, in all major sports, I'm thinking football, baseball, basketball. Anybody name an openly gay player? I know you guys aren't really into sports, I, but I, I I'm at a disadvantage. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't know the. the well, I can tell long. you, it's it's not really a thing. Right. That is not a door that has been opened. So okay, unfortunately, I understand what you're saying. So if they're not going to be comfortable with just the simple thing of sexual orientation, they're probably not going to be open to. They're not ready to. Uh, yeah. Okay. For all of the big steps forward that the leagues have recently made in calling for social justice, there are many things that those leagues are not ready for. That's what I'm saying. I hear you. You're also, you're appealing to, I don't want to say the lowest common denominator because I feel like that's insulting to football fans, but you're appealing to a... I really like football. You're appealing to a mass audience and mass audiences don't like that. I really like football, but I would I would agree that the average football fan is also probably not going to be super cool with that. Yeah. But so at some point, like it makes you wonder, is it a business decision? And to an extent, like yes, there, <laughs> there could, yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's it sucks, but I mean, I mean, it speaks to your point about earlier about integration. It was not altruistic. It was a business decision. All of this is like. It's a question of pressure. It's the why you see RuPaul um, in Old Navy commercials. It's because, oh, people like inclusive culture now. We, we like accepting people, and people will buy our shit if we do that. It's Target having rainbow t-shirts. It's all a business decision. It's uh, Colin Kaepernick getting sponsored by Nike. That is the strangest thing to me because Nike has been very supportive of Colin Kaepernick, yet Nike is the only brand that makes NFL uniforms. So they've literally been able to put their feet on both sides of it. They're getting money from the NFL. Like they can they can support Colin Kaepernick all they want and seem like this great company, but they are in bed with the NFL to an extreme degree. So like I do not understand that situation at all. Yeah. Their contract must be like the Simpsons contract with Fox. Like, we can make fun of you all we want, and you can't do shit. But at the same time... Sorry, we're on a tangent. I always feel like the Simpsons is a little hypocritical because they make all their money from a company that they feel is corrupt. But... Oh, absolutely. But I'm... Well, I'm saying it's exactly the same thing, right? Like, if Nike is really supporting Colin Kaepernick and actually feels that way and yet are raking in a ton of money because they they are the only brand of NFL uniform, make all the uniforms for the teams, all the uniforms that are sold, well, then it's exactly the same thing, right? There's yeah. basically speaking out against a company that is just showering them in money. Yeah, that's a very strong analogy. Well done. And you just came up with so, that on the, on the spot. Um, I will quickly wrap up this COVID-19 thing. In November, obviously, infection rates were going up. I mean, they've been, they've been climbing for months, but November, 8, November 18th is when it was reported, and, and things were really, it was very clear that with Thanksgiving coming up, things were taking a turn. Um, so then the intensive protocol that was reserved for teams with infections now applied to everybody in the entire league, all 32 teams. Um. All players and coaches must have a negative test from the previous day before entering the facility. Um, and if you listen to any podcast by like uh, comedians like Paul F. Tompkins or any people like that that are going in acting, it, it's like that. 
to to go into a job anywhere, you have to have a previous days or that day. No, it has, it has to be a previous day. Negative test. Um, all meetings are held virtually. Um, they can be held outdoors or indoors, unless they can be held outdoors or indoors with pre-approved plan and for face masks being worn at all times, which probably sucks as an athlete. I mean, I tried to walk around in the summer with a mask on. I can't imagine running drills. Oh, yeah. Um, even on the practice field. Um, all meals are served in a grab-and-go style to keep people from congregating. It's basically like, a, like an elementary school. Um, and locker room use is strongly discouraged on anything but a game day. Um, obviously, you don't gather outside of the facility with other players and this was before thanksgiving so that was a big deal um i'll just read this because it's interesting earlier this week dr alan sills the nfl's chief medical officer i like it. it's called chief medical officer because it's like star trek um <laughs> said that genome testing performed on every positive case has ind- indicated the virus has not been spreading within teams since the intensive and high-risk close contact protocols were put in place Rather, the increase in the number of positive cases on teams in recent weeks is coming from community spread outside of the team. Players and coaches are catching the virus from someone they interact with outside the team, a reflection of the difficulties of playing without a bubble during the country's failure to contain the virus. Does this speak to what happened with the Ravens the last couple weeks? Hey, yes, it does. Um, And specifically, I want to speak to Des Bryant. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear the news about him today? Because there's a kind of an update on this. Um, all that I know is that he, pr- j- just before a game, uh, was tested positive. So they said he couldn't play. And then there yep. was a big, bold headline on this article that said, what about Bryant's pregame hugs? And that was funny to me. He So he was literally out there warming up and then they, they had a positive test and they had to remove him. And then as of today, he has now had two negative tests. Weird. They let the game go on because they claim that the intensive protocol handled the, the lack of contact. But then a lot of people pushed back on that. Well, he was so frustrated. I mean, he's, he's got a family at home and everything. And he kind of said like, he just trying to make this comeback. He's like, you know what? I think I'm done. It just, it isn't worth it. Oh, he just walk away from the league. Yeah, that was the interview after he said he was just good. He's just going to quit because wow. he had just come back. For, he hadn't played in like three years. Um, but uh, but now with the negative tests, I don't know. And now I think he's changed his tune. He might because they play the Browns next. He might uh, might come back to play. But he was so frustrated about the whole thing and then started to feel like maybe this just is a bad idea. Which I can understand that feeling. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, to have that like news right as he was warming up. The problem was they were playing the Cowboys, which was his old team. So lots of players that he used to know. Mm-hmm. So he's interacting with That's them. The and that was like were. the pregame hug stuff. Yeah, exactly. So not his fault, but, um, you know. So did they find that? I guess I'm confused. I, I didn't read into it as deeply. So was there an outbreak on the Ravens because of Des Bryant? No, the outbreak had already happened. It happened like two weeks before that, but they had like over 20 players test positive. Their starting quarter, when they played the Steelers a couple weeks ago, their, their starting quarterback was out. Their running backs were out. Like they had this huge outbreak and they, 
they pushed the game. It was supposed to be Thanksgiving, and then it was supposed to be Sunday, and then it was Monday, and it didn't happen until Tuesday. And the Broncos had the same sort of thing where their whole quarterback room were exposed to uh, somebody on their coaching staff or their training staff who tested positive, but none of them were wearing masks, and they had no quarterbacks left. And the NFL said, you still have to play. And they said, well, you're letting the Ravens, you're pushing this back and back and back. And they said, well, that's because we, we have nothing to say that the Ravens broke any protocol. You did. So you will suffer the consequences. Wow. So they, they didn't allow any of those guys to play. And then they find the, the team or find the players. I'm not so sure. So what did they do without a quarterback? They uh, called up a receiver from their practice squad who had um, played quarterback like in college. I think he threw for 16 yards against the Saints and they lost like 41 to three. I was gonna, they got embarrassed. I mean, like I, I said, ask they made did. an example <laughs> terribly. They made an example of them, of the team. Better than a fine, right? More effective than a fine. Oh, oh, they find them too. Oh, sure. But it's more effective. I mean, like. These oh, like thou- sure. few like, thousand dollars to a person who makes like twenty million dollars, who cares? But like embarrass them on TV, like that that that's gonna get them, I think. And to show that like there will be a difference between like a spread, an outbreak that we can't trace it to like anybody doing something inherently wrong, and an outbreak or a, or a contact tracing because you didn't follow our procedures. And if you do the latter, there will be a serious repercussion. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, and the serious repercussion will be we'll put you on national television and watch you get embarrassed. <laughs> um, well, that's all I had for COVID. Um, we'll detour into a, into a sociological conversation, which I appreciate it. Um, sociocultural, rather. Um, but yeah, um, if you Google NFL COVID outbreak, there's updates every hour. It's There's a lot. So... These intensive protocols are all well and good, but um, no nobody is safe, especially in a contact sport. Um, so the bubble thing, yeah, they're invested. They're they're looking into doing it. it obviously, it's going to be a lot more difficult. But if you want to have the league and you want to keep people safe, I don't know what else you can do. Yeah, I mean, for the if they try try to do it for the playoffs, they'd be talking about fourteen teams. It's normally 12, but they allowed two more teams this year, I think because they were afraid of games having to get canceled and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So they'd be only dealing with 14 teams, but that's still 14 times 53 times, you know, a 40 person staff per team. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, you're basically, go ahead. Well, saying you'd have to like, basically like, okay, we're going to bubble in two cities and every team gets its own hotel. I mean, if the NFL can afford it, it'd be great for those cities because nobody else is renting those rooms right now. That's a good point. But um, but it's extremely expensive. I was just going to say, speaking of cancellation, like, like the consequences of it, look at this Ohio State thing. Yeah, you know, I was going to, I meant to look into this, what the, the regulations are like for the NCAA because the outbreaks in college football have been significantly worse. And maybe it's because the players are younger, they're less responsible, they, they're they not like millionaires, so it's harder for them to like, you know, get food delivered and stuff like the things that a very rich person would be able to easily do. Yes. So maybe it's that, but it's been, it's been very different. Yeah. Considering how, how bad our COVID situation is getting. Yeah. And thinking about how much 
more resources the NFL has to put into testing and other things like this compared to like a government organization or any kind of other public utility, do you feel like this is worth it? Because it seems sort of, I know that there's a lot of money and a lot of stuff behind the NFL, but it just seems kind of like misplaced to me. I mean, the players had the option to opt out. Some did. Um, not a lot. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, these guys want to play. They want to, they feel like it can be safe. Um, I think from a public standpoint, I mean, if you can keep the players safe, it's probably helping a lot of people mentally because we need some things to be able to grab onto right now. I guess it's a normalcy thing, yeah. Uh, To an extent, I mean, if if you, you know, I kind of feel, I mean, I don't know how I feel about their allowing people in the stadium, stuff like that. I don't think that's endangering the players, but I I feel like it probably endangers the people in the stands. Um, But, you know, they went into it knowing they're not, they were going to have cases. There was no way for that to not happen. But, you know, so far... It, it hasn't been a total disaster, but we have time to go. I think, Mark, um, to your point, I've seen a lot on social media from people that work in the medical community saying like, okay, you have all this money to, to test NFL players and college students. What about us? I, yeah, th- I think, fair, a I fair think point. it is a... I don't think it is inherently bad that the money is being spent on the NFL, but that it is not being spent at the same time in other ways first as a priority. I think that is the problem. If you could handle all those other people and the NFL, then I'm, I'm on board because it is a, it is a matter of finance and uh, entertainment for people that need it. But yeah, it's a lot of reasons. Well, to be, to be fair, to be fair, if the government had done the right thing from the start, and the NFL was still doing exactly what we're doing, we probably wouldn't be saying that. So that is partially putting blame on the NFL because of the government's failing. Oh, I, I no, I, I'm more, uh, I'm not speaking to the NFL doing anything wrong. I, I think it is indicative of imbalance of power and, and economy. I, yeah, that's definitely yeah, true. I don't blame the NFL. I agree with that. Uh, if they're going to do it, it seems like they're doing it in the right way. To me, it just seems sort of like a, the prioritization of a game or or whatever when all this other negative stuff is going on. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah, not I really mean, a way around it. Yeah, to think about a guy who can catch a ball and is getting you know $10 million a year and a person who's a healthcare worker who's really struggling right now making, you know, small fraction of that maybe 45 50 a year for a nurse yeah so like you know that that's sort of the thing yeah yeah while we're on the subject of healthcare maybe we can talk about cte a little bit so a major uh, criticism of football over the past several years has been the high incidences of chronic traumatic encephalopathy or cte um, in in many NFL players. So CTE is a degenerative brain condition caused by repeated trauma, concussions, et cetera, caused by the rough nature of playing competitive football. I think you mean the extreme nature, Mark. Extreme. Yes. Symptoms include cognitive impairment, 
behavioral changes and increased risk of other brain diseases uh, in the future like Alzheimer's. CTE is very difficult to diagnose from brain scans alone and can only be definitively diagnosed after death. Right, that's the big problem. That's how do they diagnose it? Well, there that's that's the only way they can do it. Like there was a football player, I can't remember his name, but he was like the first guy to suspect this was going on and was kind of losing his mind and he donated his brain and when they when they looked at it, it was the same thing they found with Chris Benoit after his autopsy, basically like extreme atrophy is essentially like what's happening with the really there's a an interesting study uh, done by a doctor dr ann mckee she studied the brains of 111 football players after death and all but one had signs of cte isn't it essentially like analogous to alzheimer's but brought on by trauma there are different proteins and stuff that build up in your brain tissue and basically like gum up your neurons. That That's the thing about football. Like when I watch it, I have these moments where it feels like a gladiator sport, knowing that this is going to ha- happen to most of these guys. Because they always say, well, we're trying to improve the helmet technology, but you can't insulate the brain. It's loose and bobbing around. They were also able to study the brains of college and high school players as well yeah. after death and whatever circumstance. Oh, these people have all donated their bodies to study. I don't know if it's this in particular or, or what, but nine of 10 college players and one of five high school players showed signs of CTE after death as well. Um, and this doctor who who did this study pointed out that from her point of view, a main concern is that there is no universal criteria for diagnosing CTE in a living patient, um, and that there are a lot of misdiagnosed issues. And I think that there could be some situations where there's a like a team doctor or something who kind of mitigates the effects of CTE to allow a player to continue to play, stuff like that. That's maybe a little nefarious. Um, A study published in the Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine suggests that changing the stance of offensive and defensive line players would reduce the number of head impacts. Um, I guess when they smash together at the beginning is when a lot of this happens. Is that the technical term? Yeah, they smash together at the beginning. (laughs) That's right. Usually it's mush. We like to say mush in the no, but you know, okay, mush together in the terms. Yeah, I think that they figured out that if they were in a little more like upright position, this would happen a lot less. Yeah, I'm in favor of upright mush. (laughs) Oof. Um, (laughs) I don't sit down and eat my oatmeal. Uh, several prominent young players have quit or retired early due to concerns over CTE risk. Um, are are any of them people that you know or are worth mentioning? Luke Keekley. Um, he was a very, very prominent linebacker for the Panthers, and he retired last year because he had had so many concussions 
that he just had freaked him out. And there are guys like, you know, I grew up watching Junior Seau and he ended up killing himself and basically said, you know, look at my brain. And he his he was I mean, CTE was a major finding with him. So um yeah. Okay. Well, in response to this study doctor uh done by Dr. McKee, um on CTE trauma and the donated brains, the NFL um, came out with a statement and sort of reiterated its commitment to scientific research. In 2016, they pledged $100 million to research um, and create innovation surrounding CTE. They talked a little bit about some engineering breakthroughs in terms of helmets and materials and stuff like that. But if your brain is basically like a jello mold floating around, even if you have a better helmet or whatever, it's not going to really alleviate the the core of the problem. So, yeah, there's a company here in Columbus who's working on that. I actually got to tour their facility, and oh, yeah? it was really cool stuff. Luke Keekley was one of the guys that was wearing. They had like a special kind of helmet, and he was one of the guys that was wearing um, their their prototype. Um, I don't know how well they're doing, and like I said, he retired. But um, but you're right, like it you can't insulate the brain in that way. Your brain, no matter how good the helmet is, your brain is still going to be able to smack against your skull. Well, they have changed a lot of rules to try to reduce certain kinds of hits. Like a lot of guys were getting concussions on kickoffs because people are running full speed all the way down the, uh, down the, the field. So they moved up the point from the 20 to the 25 from where you kick off so that it's more likely to go into the end zone so there's not as many runbacks. You can't lead with the crown of your helmet anymore. You can't hit a defenseless receiver. I mean, you can do those things, but you'll be penalized. So they're trying to find ways to reduce the most violent hits. But like you said, some of the most common ways this is happening is linemen that are constantly hitting their heads together at the line of scrimmage. And that's just a fundamental part of the game. There are no rules you can make to stop that that's just anatomy so it's not the violent hits that are really that's what we think of but it's the repetitive like constant things that are not so noticeable since 2002 the nfl like you had mentioned had made some rule changes they also invested a lot in education initiatives uh, medical protocols and employed more sideline medical personnel to help protect the players well, they have ways to evaluate, like if, if they suspect a concussion now on the field, they take you back to like a tent, they run certain tests, and if they if you don't pass those tests, then you're out for the game. So uh, like they try to identify those things, but they often like send guys back in because they pass the test, and it always makes me wonder like, I mean, if you think a guy has a concussion, like isn't that enough reason to like sort of like chill him out yeah. for a while? Agreed. But, well... I'm not trying to be too much of a devil's advocate about football in general, but it seems like a lot of these things that the NFL does are things to say like, oh, well, we did all that we could about this to kind of cover their own ass. But it's more of a fundamental issue with the game and it being like a violent sport that is causing this. So there's been argument that if we don't take away the contact aspect, like if you don't make football like a tag or flag football sport, then if you move 50, 100 years in the future, it won't exist anymore because fewer and fewer kids are playing peewee football or playing middle school football or playing high school football because parents aren't allowing it. 
So the numbers of kids actually playing is going way, way down. So the argument is if you don't change, then you can, okay, I want to hold on to my football as hard as I can, but it might not be around very much longer if you well, do that. I agree. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's sort of a gladiator sport and part of that's part of the spectacle Right. Where people like it. But again, is it worth it? Um, I wanted to mention as well, somebody mentioned it when we were planning this episode, the film called concussion about the, the study of yes. Will Smith. Yeah. It came out in uh, 2015. Um, Will Smith plays Dr. Bennett Omalu, a pathologist studying and exposing CTE within the NFL. Um, the interesting part about this is that the Sony hack of 2014 uncovered emails between Sony and Goodell and I think Tagliabue that the film script was re- rewritten in certain scenes to make the NFL look a little bit better than they were in reality in terms of how they handled CTE in general. So it seems like hmm. even a, a movie that was supposed to call out the dangers of CTE still got subverted a little bit by the NFL. Yeah. I mean, that shows their influence, right? Mm-hmm. And they could have... Huge they, Maybe they could have sued for defamation otherwise. I don't, I don't know. I guess, yeah. But it's all, you know, it's all bad. <laughs> the argument is often made like, well, these guys are choosing to play this game. But again, you got a lot of young kids coming out of college... A lot of instances where like these kids didn't grow up with much money and then you're offering these multi-million dollar contracts to them to go out and do irreparable damage to their brains. So I don't know that it's fair to say, well, they're making their own choice. I think that they're being influenced by a lot of things and it's unfair to say, well, it's their adults. It's hard to say no to that, especially when you don't know all the details. Right. And you're 20 years old. You're becoming a big star. Like I, you know... I don't think it's as simple as their adults are making their own choice. No, it's coercion. It's just a different type. Yeah. Again, that's how I see it as a gladiator sport. This is, this is sort of definitely ended on a sour note, but I, I, I think it's one of those things that has gotten ignored because it's not pleasant to think about. It's important. Well, let me end by saying, you know, go Browns and, uh, they're nine and three and it's given me something to look forward to every week. Gotta look forward to something. That's exciting. I literally go through the whole week like, I can't wait for it to be Sunday. So that's great until we get to like, you know, when they finally lose and I've got nothing to look forward to anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really, I don't feel that way exactly, but I know it's been tough for Leanna because she's a big Ohio State football fan and obviously it's been a weird season. So she looks forward to Saturdays and I'm not as into college football. I have my particular reasons, and we will do an episode on college football someday. Okay. Stay tuned, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. See you next time. Thank you for listening to an hour of our time. If you like what you heard, we encourage you to explore our catalog of over 100 episodes and rate and review on your platform of choice. And if you have any comments or episode topic suggestions, contact us at podcast at gmail.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.